We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 72 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the Internet. We have got a packed show for you guys today. We're talking the Akron game, Gamecocks getting the 28-3 win. We'll break that down, recap the game on Saturday. Also, it is the inaugural the Spurs Up Show postseason awards. We're going to give out some awards for the 2018 season as we recap and wrap up what was an exciting regular season for the Gamecocks. Uh, We've also got some news and notes to get to. And, Tom, it's all brought to you by our new sponsor, the Spurs Up Show has a new sponsor. It's brought to you by SeatGeek. Tom, buying tickets used to be very time-consuming and very confusing. Not anymore with our friends over at SeatGeek. If you go on right now, use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, for $20 off your first purchase. We've got a ton of stuff coming up. There's college basketball in full swing. The Belk Bowl is about to come up on December 29th. South Carolina Clemson basketball play, I think, on December the 20th. Tons of stuff coming up right now. Go download SeatGeek. You'll get $20 off your first purchase when you use the promo code SPURSUP. Again, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P. Again, if you don't use this promo code for the Belt Bowl, I guess you do not like saving money. They actually give you a zero out of zero to 10 score on each ticket. You know if you're getting a good or bad deal. You see the little green meter, you know, hey, this is a steal. I'm getting a really good deal on this ticket. You see the red meter, you know, hey, this isn't a really good deal. I should probably stay away from this when they're trying to overcharge me. So, again, our brand-new sponsor for the Spurs Up show is SeatGeek. Please go download their app. Use the promo code SPURSUP. That is Spurs Up. Get $20 off your first purchase. And if you've already got a SeatGeek account, let me give you a piece of advice. Go download the app, create a new, uh, create a new account with a new email, and use the promo code Spurs Up and save $20 anyways. It's pretty easy. Uh, all right, we got a packed show. Let's get into it. What kind of work do you do? He is Thomas Floyd. Pack show today. I was talking to you, Tom, pre-show. It's funny. We've had people asking us, are you still going to be doing podcasts? Are you still going to be doing shows now that the season is over? Are you going to take some time off? Take some time off. This has been, I told you, this has been our busiest week. I say one of our busiest weeks since the season started. Tons going on, which is great news for us. I mean, all kinds of stuff going on uh, in the Gamecock Twitter realms. We've got a brand new sponsor, as you just heard, in SeatGeek, which is a really Really huge step for us, Tom. I know you can attest to it, obviously, since we branched off into our own entity being the Spurs Up show. The uh, the guys over at SeatGeek were gracious enough to give us an opportunity, again, to have a promo code SPURSUP, which, again, if you didn't listen, if you skipped ahead of the ad read, 
which I know probably a lot of you did. Shame on you, but we've got a promo code. Spurs up, save 20 bucks. The, the Belt Bowl is coming up. Everyone needs to go. It's in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's a close drive. You have no excuse. Why not save some money in the process? Use the promo code Spurs up. And if you've already got a SeatGeek account, like I was just telling you guys, just create a new account with a new email and use that promo code and beat the system like we're all going to do, like I'm actually going to do. <laughs> so, Tom, I want to welcome you to the show. I guess my most important question I need to ask you, Tom, uh, before we get going is, are you team grape or are you team melon? I am team. I don't care about any of that <laughs> stuff whatsoever. I mean, I guess I got team melon because I think team, I think the Spurs Up show is technically considered team melon. We, we, we were sort of, uh, I'll say this, we were sort of, sort of bribed. I, mean, I don't know if bribed is the right word, but basically we, uh, we weren't really given a choice, I guess. Um, and once we sort of just ran with it, it was like, hey, why not? But, yeah, I mean, crazy stuff today on Gamecock Twitter. I, I, yeah. I, just, I had I at least 30 people sure. text me asking me what the grape stuff means. <laughs> I'm just like, I really don't know. It just is getting stupid. I, I, just, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I had so many people asking me as well, just like, what's up with the grape stuff? What's the melon stuff? I was like, well, I know where the melon stuff came from, but honestly, I, I think the grape stuff stemmed from Ryan Holinsky replying to the Clemson – uniform reveal saying they really did surgery on a grape so I'm going to try to explain what I think it means I think it means that was a meme they did surgery on a grape there was a company that actually created a machine that would do surgery on a grape literally as you're hearing me say it that's exactly what it means um and the meme it's like it's almost so laughably bad that when people see something that's also laughably bad they say they did surgery on a grape in reference to the meme that's what I think it means but it turned into people saying they were team grape and then today, people saying they were Team Mellon, and then Gamecock football got involved. All of the players got involved. All of the Gamecock athletics got involved, and it Belt was Bowl. and it actually got national. Belt Bowl got involved. I saw Kansas State men's basketball. So Reddit college football tweeted something about that. Who did? Reddit Reddit college football Twitter account. Oh Reddit, yeah, no, I did see that Reddit college football. Yeah, it was just crazy. I mean, shout out to those guys because that that's it's hilarious. I'll be honest, that was one of the funnier. Yeah, what's the Okay, I must have missed this. What's the story with the grape? Not the grape, the melon. Because I understand the grape, but I don't understand the melon. So, it was started by Rob Gregory, Gamecockology, uh, Gamecock Art, all good friends of ours. And honestly, they just picked melon. I don't think there was any rhyme or reason. or <laughs> They just picked a random fruit. I have no idea, to be complete. I mean, it just came out of nowhere. But it was so funny because, you know, anyone that follows us knows. I mean, I, I'm – I'm in front of a computer all day. I'm on my computer and on our Twitter feed from probably eight in the morning till whatever, all day, whatever. Um, I can say by about three o'clock, I was pretty sick of seeing fruit emojis on my time. I was like, all right, this yeah. was funny. I am pretty worn out and exhausted from it, but uh, no, it was funny. But yeah, no, getting back to you, Tom, how was, uh, as I always ask you, I want to know, how was your weekend? How'd everything go? Obviously, no, no, or we had the Gamecocks football game, obviously, but a ton of good football as well with the SEC championship. Um, and then some good NFL. So, how, how was your weekend overall? Great week, weekend for me. Obviously, South Carolina wins. First of the weekend. Had a date that night. Went really well. Second Ooh. of the weekend. Always a great weekend for a date. But, anyway, third of the weekend came on Sunday when the Patriots beat the absolute dog crap out of the Vikings. I would say dog crap. It was 24-10. We dominated the game. Matt told Adam Thielen to shut the F up. And that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. A Wide on wide action in the NFL. Don't see that much often anymore. But overall, a great weekend for me. Yeah, Adam Adam Thielen getting at your boy Bill Belichick. 
He, he was right on to shut that up down. He was complaining about Belichick throwing a challenge flag or something like that. It was stupid. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, people were making the joke is it's like it's funny they're arguing when Thielen's probably going to be playing for Bill Belichick in like two years. Oh, facts though, it's and so true. He's su- Thielen is such a Patriots Patriots system type quarter or uh, wide receiver. I just he's like another Edelman basically. Yeah, I mean, he. No, I mean, really, Hunter Renfro is the closest thing to Edelman or Amendola I've ever seen in my life. But um, Thielen is definitely would be a nasty addition to the Patriots. Yeah, no, without a doubt. So yeah, I uh, my weekend actually went really, really well. Pretty lazy weekend. I actually watched a bunch of Christmas specials. Me and my girlfriend, we found Chris, the Christmas specials, those animated, uh, animated Christmas shows on YouTube. So we did that pretty much. We're in the Christmas season. We got our Christmas tree up. We got a real Christmas tree. Got the lights up. The ornaments. All the good stuff. So we're in the Christmas spirit. Saturday, literally just watched football all day. Decided to not make the trip down to Columbia, which I felt guilty about when I first woke up. I did. And then the game started, and I was like, nah, you know what? I I can live with not sitting in that rain all day, that cold rain. So, but just watched football. Obviously, there's a great, uh, lot of good college football. The SEC championship lived up to the billing. It was wild. It's just, it's always fun to see Georgia fans get their souls ripped out of their bodies. Um, and then Sunday, Tom, the Panthers suck. So that, that was that Panthers much, are garbage. I don't know what happened, but the Panthers are garbage. So yeah, we're good like a week ago. I, Cam Newton throws what three, four picks? I mean, I just it's terrible. I don't, know. I don't know, but yeah, but all right. So let's get to the Gamecocks game. Obviously, again, we talked about it, it was a wet, sloppy game Saturday, but South Carolina uh, finds their way to get the twenty-eight to three win, close the regular season out at seven and five. Probably not going to be. Well, I don't know. There might be a lot to take away from it. But, Tom, I'm just interested to kind of get your initial reactions from what you really took away from the uh, the game on Saturday. Well, I mean, overall, I think that South Carolina dominated the game for the most part. After wasn't a very good team. And I think all the coaches, at least in my opinion, you could obviously tell that maybe they had a game plan for this one the most in the world. But with it being accurate, I don't really think anybody cared. It was really sloppy from a standpoint of, I think turnover-wise, I think we did really bad in that area. Jake Bentley had two picks. He kind of looked like, the, I want to say the old Jake Bentley, but with it being so wet out there, I mean, I really can't even blame him to a point. Just overall, I would say a sloppy game. Defensively, it was very fun game-wise. So only got about three points. So I to see a lot of different good players. But overall, I mean, I mean, I guess I could be upset with the game, but it was Akron at home when the SEC championship's going on. So, like, I really – couldn't like now that couldn't care less but it was just like a wash of a game to me yeah it was obviously a very very sloppy game um really weird game now because you know I talked about all week last week Tom that it had the feelings of the Chattanooga game I mean it really did and really for the first half I was like this is Chattanooga same halftime score 28 to 3 I was like this is Chattanooga all over again and the second half just did not play out that way obviously South Carolina Shut out. Never a situation. They were in control the entire game, but the second half, Jake Bentley did not have his best game, which, again, I saw a lot of people, not a lot, but a a decent amount of people on social media on Saturday having their hot takes and flipping out. It's like, listen, you're hungover from the Clemson game. It's a sloppy, wet game. Like you're saying, South Carolina's probably not putting – I mean, they can say every week is a season, and I get that, but it's Akron. I mean, how much really – how much focus, how much – prep I mean how serious are even the players taking their opponent I know they're supposed to but let's be realistic they're 18 to 21 year old kids but yeah I mean it's just Taylor two hash or South Carolina we saw Debo Samuel have three touchdowns in the day Brian Embers had another long one um and what was what is Debo Samuel's final game in Garnet and Black which we're going to get to in just a little bit but yeah I just thought really Tom just a tale of two halves I mean 
you know, South Carolina had some opportunities in the second half to really put the game away. I mean, they had it in the first half as well. If Jake Bentley doesn't throw, uh, you know, two red zone interceptions that were just not really good throws. I mean, especially the first one I think of, he was trying to go to Casey Crosby in the corner of the end zone and uh, just made a bad throw. But the, the, the defense I'll have is, listen, Jake Bentley, he was due for a bad one, right? I mean, he's played about six good games in a row. Um, it's not like he played terrible. It just wasn't his best game. And look at the conditions they were in. So I don't think South Carolina fans, from an offensive standpoint or going into the bowl game, should have any less confidence about what how, the way that Jake Bentley's been playing or the way the offense has been playing. I just simply think it's a scenario of, you know, you're on a wet, sloppy field in a game that, you know, I think in the second half, like South Carolina just wanted to get over with. Um, I don't know how interested they were really – they really were in being out there. I'll say the one thing that I was pretty – I don't know about upset with, but I was really disappointed in time. I know a lot of other people were too. It's just the fact that you're up 28-3, to the game is fully in hand, and you're still sending your first-team offense out there late – all game, late in the fourth quarter, five minutes left. I just feel like with what Michael Skarnecchia and what some of those freshmen and those guys, especially the seniors, had done this season, I just thought the Michael Skarnecchia should have gotten a drive in that second half. But – you know, and the, the explanation was weird with Will Muschamp saying it was for ball control issues or something like that, which I, I don't really know what to take away from that. But, you know, just just a shame to me that we didn't get to see the young guys like we did in Chattanooga. But, I mean, overall, get to 7-5, and five, get that win. Will Muschamp becomes the winningest head coach in his first three seasons with 22 wins overall, which is a pretty awesome uh, – or, a, you know, a pretty good thing, obviously. I mean, for all the – all the criticism that Will Muschamp, that hire brought. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure a lot of people thought he would, you know, break that record. While it's not like a crazy record or anything, I mean, I'm not sure many people thought he would break that record. So, you know, I mean, overall, Tom, I don't, I don't think there's too much you can be upset with um, other than maybe the offense dog. But, you know, to me, the one thing I was kind of disappointed is just not seeing those veteran guys and a guy like Michael Skarnecki see the field. No, I definitely agree. I think that it would have been nice to see Skarnecki or see – or um, I about to say Perry Orff because I was Perry Orff in my mind because of the interview at the end of the show. He is obviously isn't in South Carolina uniform anymore, but um, it would have seemed, it would have been nice to see, you know, Marcus Skarnecki, Jay Urich, to carry on Jordan, seeing all three of those guys play and really obviously avoid another injury like you had to Zach Bailey in yeah, the league, which is you know, terrible for him. Yeah, no, that was br- – that, that was – that was brutal. That, that was absolutely brutal. I will say this, though, the defense on Saturday. I know it's Akron again, but, you know, holding them without a touchdown, holding them to three points. I'll tell you this, man. The guy on defense, Tom, that really impressed me again is R.J. Roderick. I mean, that dude flying all over the field. I mean, laying the wood, absolutely popping some pads. I mean, I, you know, I knew he was a solid player, but I didn't – I don't know that I quite knew he was a – he was a popper like that. I mean, he – we put up a video Monday, or uh, yeah, so Monday after the after the game or whatever, and I basically said that R.J. Roderick made the Akron running back want to quit football, and that's what it looked like. I mean, he just, good God, that dude was in hot pursuit. And then he had obviously the one where he hit the guy and, and st- stood over him, and it was a fumble. Where it, very much uh, D.J. Swearinger esque. Who D.J. Swearinger went to Twitter actually and said how much he liked the hit. So I think overall, again, that's another positive you can take, Tom, is that. Again, it's Akron. It's not a it's not a Clemson. It's not a top tier opponent, but you can kind of see the progression from these young guys like McQuamu and R.J. Roderick and Rick Sandage and you know J.J. Anibari and even Brad Johnson's coming along. Ernest Jones, Rosendo Lewis, like these young guys that are being forced into action. 
I think we're starting to see some development from those guys without a doubt. I, I definitely think you're on to something there. And I think one guy that you're going to have a lot of fun with next year watching is R.J. Roger, considering what he's been capable of doing the last couple of games. I think that, that confidence for him is finally getting there. Uh, there are a lot of different other players, too. J.J. Ingbari, I think, is a guy that's going to be really special. Him and Josh Bell. I think a starting tandem next year at D-Tackle of Josh Bell or, or J.J. Ingbari and you know, Javon Kinlaw is going to be absolutely lethal. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you think Ingbari is more of a tackle or is he more of an edge guy? Uh, I mean, he has the body size to be a tackle, but – I mean, he he could grow. He could basically get the muscle mass to be a tackle. But the way he looks, he should be a defensive end. In my right, opinion. that's what I'm saying. He looks like an end to me. I'll tell you. And I want to ask you this too on defense. There's, I talked about this in our group chat a little bit earlier uh, earlier in the week. There's two guys to me on defense that had good games Saturday: Brad Johnson and Aaron Sterling. That I feel like, I don't know if they're misused, but I, I feel like I feel like they are. I, I don't know why. Do you think they're misused at all on defense? Because I just feel like they. They haven't quite hit their full potential because I don't even really know what position they play in regards to, like, where they're best suited, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, when you only have – when you have 15 guys down to injury, you kind of just play whoever. Right. So, no, I think yeah, that's yeah. kind of the thing that's hurting them the most. Right, right. No, because I think those are two guys that could be they, – they just feel like hybrid players right now. I'm like, well, they rush yeah. the passer a little bit and they come off the edge a little bit and sometimes they go inside and it's just – but I agree with you. I mean, definitely having the injuries is going to – you know kill that <laughs> you've yeah, got to hurt you play where we, wherever you need a body but I mean yeah I mean over it was a, a weird game again full of turnover South Carolina had their fair share it literally felt like every time South Carolina would pull the ball off Akron they were coughing it right back up to them just a just a weird game in that regard but overall again Dom, you get the win you know you get the seven and five um, again this game didn't have a ton of bearing I guess on your bowl you know your bowl uh, destination um but, you know, overall, it's just good to get that seventh win. I mean, it just – Yeah. It's crazy. that The season – you know, I read something today. The season started on a beautiful summer day, an 80-degree day, and it ends on a rainy, nasty 20 – you know, nasty, uh, cold-weather day. And it's funny. Somebody also said – I mean, obviously, we're not trying to make light of it, but the uh, the Marshall game that was canceled during the due to the hurricane, they said the, the, the weather on Saturday was worse than the weather that, of the actual game that was canceled in Columbia, mm-hmm. so – Take, just take yeah, that, that for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah, and if you think about it, because I remember when that Marshall game got canceled, we were talking about, well, it's actually not even raining in Columbia. But it was because they obviously needed the first responders of the coast and stuff, which we fully understand. But it's just kind of ironic that that ended up being the case because, um, you know, I know obviously attendance suffered greatly. And, again, it and I can't blame anybody because, again, I was planning on going, and it's just one of those deals where nobody wants to go – nobody wants to go sit out there in the rain. And if you were one of those yeah. that were sitting out there in the rain, you're listening to the show – I tip my cap to you and I give a great kudos to you and you should you should uh you should get free season tickets for 2019 because you are a true fan because it looked very it looked miserable I'm not gonna lie to you I mean the crowd I think reflected that but I mean overall anything else obviously the, the injury to Zach Bailey is brutal absolutely sucks um I don't think I mean I know Mon Vincent had another really nice run 61 yard run that he broke off it sucks he couldn't have broke that off and gotten in the end zone because that drive ended with Jake Millie throwing a pick but I mean, overall, again, I, I think there's – in a game like this, there's not a ton that, you know, we can really dig in or dive into. Or yeah, there's just like not that. a lot to look at. I think just overall, South Carolina just went out there and handled their business, even if it was, even if it was only for a half. I mean, only a 25-point win. Right, and that's what that was one of the funnier things, too, is, again, people getting 
you know, obviously the second half sucked. I mean, it sucked to watch. I, it felt like it took forever, the second half did, because it just – Yeah, that game was on for eight it hours. Was br- <laughs> it was brutal. It was very brutal. But I, I just told somebody, I was like, you know what, I've watched enough South Carolina football to where even when South Carolina was under Steve Spurrier, they were playing teams like Wofford and like that. They were winning by seven points, like these close wins. I'm like, you know what, I'm never going to go on and, and whine and bitch and moan about a 25-point. I just can't do it. I just can't do it because I've seen so many bad games. It's like I'm not going to complain about a almost four-touchdown win. I just – I don't have that in me. So, but anyways, good win for South Carolina. Let's get to some of our biggest takeaways. Tom, what was your biggest takeaway from the game on Saturday? Um, that playing games in the rain suck for us, apparently. I'm mean, just kidding. Obviously not. The Missouri game worked in our favor, and we won this game too. But maybe we should play every game in the rain. Maybe that's what we should do going forward. The rain sure. games have been very weird for South Carolina. Yeah. If nothing, They've won them both, obviously, but they have been very strange games both. Yeah, um, so from now on, let's just play games in the rain because we're 2-0 and in those. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe we should get – yeah. Move the team to Florida, and we'll get the rain every week. So, yep. yeah, I'd do it. Uh, my biggest takeaway from Saturday, Tom, was that this game really just encapsulated the entire 2018 season. You had a lot of good, you had a lot of bad, and you had a lot of ugly. And that, that, that to me, this game really just – we saw all three, and it really just summed up what was the 2018 season. There were times where things were really good. There were times when things were really bad, and there were times where things were very, very, very ugly. I think of a cold night in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, let's get to some game balls, Tom. I'll start, <clears throat> and I'm going to – again, it's – you know, so it's funny, Tom. I didn't even have to change my game balls from a week ago, and which is a, something I don't, I don't do. I normally always change it up. But these two guys, to me, stood out again. On offense, I'm giving my game ball to Debo Samuel. I know I'm taking the obvious one, but I don't know how he can't get the game ball. Three touchdowns in his last game at Williams-Brice. Recovers a touchdown on a punt fumble recovery in the end zone. I mean, dude is all over the field. Um, <clears throat> and, again, just proved why he's one of the most dynamic players to ever, ever wear a garnet in black. Uh, on defense, I, mean, I already talked about him. R.J. Roderick busting heads all over the place. Dude was all over the field. I mean, he really – I've said this before. I, I don't know. Once South Carolina gets all its safeties back healthy – I don't know if R.J. Roderick is going to be an everyday starter, if he's going to be a starter. Because South Carolina's got, believe it or not, South Carolina's got some talented guys that you look at 2019, they're all healthy. There's some talent at safety. There really is. You think of, uh, I, for, uh, I forget his last name, but Cook, the five-star transfer from Southern Jamel, Cal. Jamel Cook. Jamel Cook, there you go. Yeah, Jamel Cook, the five-star transfer from Southern Cal. You got to believe he's going to take a starting spot. I'd be shocked if he didn't. Um, think of Jamias Williams, Jalen Dickerson a year older. Nick Harvey will be back. Um, so, I mean, there's definitely some some talent there. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll be really surprised if R.J. Roderick isn't a guy that has a big-time impact in the secondary for South Carolina for years to come. Because he is a guy that, like Will Muschamp says, loves to stick his face in the fan and really get after it. So, uh, Tom, who are you giving your game balls to for this game? Uh, offensively, I'm going to go running back Mon Denson, 17 carries for 110 yards. I think he's obviously, at this point in the season, been the most dependable back for us. Just another over- – Overall, good game for him. Bentley had two picks, so I had to kind of, you know, steer away from making that my player of the game offensively. But defensively, another freshman, I think that's been our kind of our theme for the year on defense, just picking the freshman for game balls for those couple weeks in a row that we've both done it. But Kingsley and Aubrey, you know, it seems like he was doing a lot of good stuff on defense. I think that he's going to be a really good one like we've talked about before. But six tackles, a sack, and two tackles for loss. I mean, what else can you ask of a freshman? 
Yeah, no, Kingsley had a really good game. And I, I like the Mon Denson because he's just been a guy all season. Just all he does is does what he what he's what he's asked to do. And yeah. um yeah, I mean, he's done really well. I mean, I'm just looking at the stats right here. He, he finished the season at five yards a carry. I mean, he wasn't Pretty leading tough. back. That was Rico Dowdle, but he also played three less games, only rushed for 200 and about 30 less yards. So, I mean, you know, it's not bad. <laughs> it's not bad for Mon Denson, who came in the season as the fourth-string running back. Um, no. So, yeah, overall, we're going to move into – we're going to move off of the Akron game again. Not a ton to talk about from that one, but, again, we've got a packed show. The season recap. Let's get into our season recap. Um, the 2018 season is officially over. We're going to get the season recap. We're going to talk a little bit of news and notes, and then we're going to get into our award show, the inaugural Spurs Up show uh, award show. Let's get into the season recap, though, Tom. Um, we're going to grade it offense, defense, special teams. I think we did a little bit of this, and we actually asked you guys on social media today what your grades were as well. So I'm going to pull that up in the meantime. But, Tom – um, give me your grade for the 2018 offense. Uh, how would you grade the offense's performance this season? Uh, I'm going to go B plus considering how well they performed in the second half of the season. And really, just in general, the Clemson game, I think that next year, especially if Brian Edwards comes back, that we're going to have a very lethal and explosive, explosive offense, especially in the passing side of it. They're obviously losing Zach Bailey and Dennis Staley and maybe even Donnell Stanley three out of your five starters isn't going to be good. But maybe if Donnell comes back, you only lose two. But Dennis Staley had a very good year, so did Zach Bailey. I think that – we, we could have done a lot more maybe if Rico Dado and Tyson Williams would have been healthy for more of the year, but on the ground at least. But I don't think we could have expected much more out of this offense than what we got. I, I think Brian McClendon did a lot of really good things. I will say this. I think B-plus is very, very favorable. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I don't hate it. and I can see it. But I think B-plus is very favorable for how bad the offense looked at times this season. I gave him a B, so I'm not that much – I'm not that far off of you. But I could see you even giving the offense a C plus. I really, for people that argued that, um, I, I'm not 100% opposed to it. I'm looking at the the um, the votes on Twitter right now. We put out these polls this morning. How would you grade the Gamecocks 2018 offense? 77% of you said B. Um, so I think we're right in line, Tom. 12% said A, 10% said C, 1% said other. So 1% are probably Clemson fans on our timeline. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, I think B is right in line just because, I mean, you look at the stats. I've got the stats pulled up here. Um, you know, when you look at the overall stats, South Carolina averaged 32.6 points per game. And I think if you told anyone coming into this season, hey, you've got a brand-new offensive coordinator. It's Brian McClendon's first season. You've got Dan Werner also helping him out. You know, Jake Bentley hasn't – you know, he's got a lot to prove. Before the season, we talked about it. He had a ton to prove. There were still some uncertainties there, and uncertainties just with how this offense would play. Can Debo Samuel play a full season? There were a ton of question marks going the season. I think if you told any South Carolina fan the Gamecocks would average 32.6 points per game, I think South Carolina fans would have taken that in a heartbeat. I mean, that ranks up there. I don't have the actual rankings for, like, the last 20 years of South Carolina football, but that ranks pretty high up there, even with the Spurrier era. I mean, 32.6 points per game would rank up there with the top South Carolina offenses under Steve Spurrier. So, I think – and I will say, you know, some of the losses, obviously – the first one that comes to my mind is the Florida game. You know, that that one is not the offense's fault. That's 100% solely on the defense. So, there, I think there were some games that if South Carolina was a little bit stronger defensively, you've got to think they could have pulled out the win. But I think overall game, when you average almost 33 points per game, um, you've got to be pretty happy with what you did on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, South Carolina, you know, I think we kind of scoffed at it, Tom, coming into this season. Remember they talked – you remember when Bobby Bentley talked about in fall camp, 
we want to average what was it five yards a carry or I think yeah. it was five years. We, we were like, yeah, right. I think six yards of carry is what some of the O-linemen said. Right. Something. Well, I know – I think Bobby Bentley said five, and I think that was sort of the consensus. I mean, South Carolina averaged 4.6 yards of carry. I mean, if you'd have told me that coming in the season, I would have been ecstatic about that. You know, Debo – I mean, you had two receivers over 800 yards. Debo Samuels, Debo Samuels with 11 touchdowns. I mean, that's a pretty good year. Yeah, I, I think the big thing on offense that really held this unit back for the longest time was just Jake Bentley and the inter- being interception prone. I mean, you know, again, I think the criticism, you know, we've obviously turned the tide on Jake Bentley and we've seen what he can do, but I think it was very just. I mean, I think when he's not taking care of the football, I think that's really what killed this offense and, again, what knocks it to a B. Again, I could see somebody arguing for a C-plus just because there were times where this offense it didn't look – like they should have, I guess you could say, or just did not live up to the billing. Of, of They didn't look like a team that was led by a junior quarterback and had all these playmakers because there were some high expectations. Let's not get it twisted. But, um, I mean, I think overall, you know, for me at least, a B is a, is a pretty fair mark. All right, let's move to the defense, Tom, because I think this one's interesting. I'll start with the defense. I gave the defense a C-. And when I gave this grade out, I'll be honest, when I first thought I was like, I'm probably going to give the defense a D because it just wasn't a very good defensive year. Um, overall, statistically, I'll tell you, South Carolina give, gave up this season 27.2 points per game. That's pretty rough. I mean, that's a pretty rough number. Um, but when you when you look at it from – when you take into account all of the injuries, all the guys South Carolina lost this season, you know, you take away the top three guys on defense from any defense in the country. I don't care if it's Alabama, if it's Clemson, if it's Georgia. I don't care who it is. They're going to struggle. They're going to feel some sort of a, of a drop-off. I mean, when you think of what South Carolina had to deal, I mean, deal with at the, you know, on the defense, especially Tom, the safety position. I mean, you lose six safeties. I mean, there's no team in the country that could have, that could have, you know, dealt with that any differently than South Carolina did. So I think a C minus, um, for me at least, felt like a pretty good grade. Tom, what was your what was your grade for the 2018 defense? Well, apparently I'm more of a lenient grader than you are because I went C. I think that, you know. I noticed that. I, I think it's because you're probably still in college. So you're like, you kind of feel bad, but. Yeah, I mean, considering how many injuries the defense went through, I think it would be rough to expect them to be a shutdown defense like they could have been or maybe even should have been even without the injuries. But losing DJ Warren, losing Bryce Nile Williams, that's your two best pass rushers and really your two edge guys. You know, you lose them two weeks into the season and don't really get them back. I mean, it's hard to come back from stuff like that. It's just – it's not going to work out well for you. And I think that overall, I mean, what, what really could we have expected when you down, like you said, six safeties? I mean, that's six DBs that we really could – really a lot of those guys can play corner and safety. So, you're down six DBs that are scholarship guys. It's going to hurt you a little bit. You're going to have a little bit of problems. I mean, I think for the Clemson game, we had like 15 starters and people that played a lot of snaps out. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous to me. Yeah, I mean, no, for sure. You can't do much on defense when you have that many guys out. You have a senior walk-on in Jason Sean or Sean, however you – Jason Sin. Jason Sin. Yeah. I'm, my bad. Where yeah. is last name was? Um, I mean, you have a guy like that who's playing meaningful snaps against Clemson who hasn't who, – and he hasn't played a snap his entire career, really. I mean, it's just not a combination for success. I think that with all the injuries, you kind of have to be lenient on these guys. Overall, I mean, it was great to see the fight they had it was against Clemson and especially against Akron. I mean, obviously, you guys tell they were outmatched, but you could, you never saw just the, the give up in their eyes. It seemed like they were fighting to the last snap. And, I mean, for just that in general, I'm willing to give them a C. Yeah, and that, like I said, I, I, that's fair. I don't think that's unfair. Uh, it's crazy, though. I'm kind of on both sides. I could 
I think it's fair if you want to give him a C. I also think it's fair if you want to give him a D plus. I think even with the injuries. But here are – and I love what you said because Will Muschamp and T. Rob and those guys have said it too. This team, despite the injuries, you know, despite a bunch of young guys being out there, this team never quit fighting. And you saw the effort. They, they, they talked about we're getting the effort we want from these guys every single week. And I think that's something that's got to be really encouraging for South Carolina fans as well is that, you know, sometimes when you play freshmen, they go out there and they're, they're starry-eyed. They don't go full speed. They're scared to make a mistake. South Carolina's young guys were flying all over the place. South Carolina's guys looked like they were chomping at the bit to get on the field. And you know what? They might have made mistakes, but, you know, it, it's like I had a, I, I've told you before, Tom, I had an old coach tell me if you're going to mess up or if you're going to screw up, screw up going, screw up flying, screw up going 100%. And that's what these young guys have done. I mean, it, it's encouraging to see because here's the thing. They're out there making plays. A guy like R.J. Roderick, for example, a guy like J.C. Horn, for example, they're out there making plays. They only half know what they're doing at this point. I mean, you think of next year when these guys really know what they're doing, they're a year older, a year better. I mean, it's, it's, it, it bodes well for South Carolina fans looking towards the future for their defense. Two key numbers for the defense, by the way, Tom, I've got pulled up here, um, which are, I think, just really interesting stats. Third down percentage. Gamecocks defense held their opponents to 36% on third down, which I don't have the national numbers pulled up, but that's pretty good. South Carolina, on the contrary, on offense, converted 44% of their third down. So, 36% for a defense that was depleted with injury. That's – I don't know about you, Tom. I'd say that's pretty solid. We'll take that. Yeah, and then in the, let's see, red zone, um, South Carolina held their opponents just 58% of the time scoring touchdowns. I mean, that again – and that's what we've seen from Will Muschamp defense is being good on third down and being good in the red zone. I think the one thing that was lacking this year from the defense – was the turnovers. We didn't see South Carolina be able to get the ball off teams like they did a year ago. But as I talked with Michael uh, – oh, my God, I'm forgetting his name. Um, Michael Felder, sorry, from formerly a Bleacher Report. I completely forgot. Uh, spaced out there. But, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Michael Felder from Stadium. He talked about in the preseason how turnovers are a very fickle thing, and they're almost lucky at times. And, you know, it was almost unfair of us to try to hold the defense that same standard that they're going to get X amount of turnovers like they did last year. Um, so, I mean, I'd say that was the one big key difference that South Carolina defense was unable to get those turnovers they had. But, again, for a depleted unit, you can't – you got to be fair with it. I agree with you, Tom. Um, all right, let's finally move to special teams because special teams is one we talked about pretty heavily coming in the season. We're a ton of question marks. Uh, Tom, how would you grade the special teams in 2018? Uh, I'm going to get an A+. Obviously, considering what Parker White and Joseph Charlton did this season, Charlton was second team All-SEC in the APN, um, the coaches hit the coaches on um, SEC bowl, but um, I think he did a lot of things people really weren't expecting this season. He has an NFL leg, in my opinion. I think he's a guy who's going to end up playing in the NFL or at least get a chance to. I think that Parker White does, too. He definitely has the lack for distance, and obviously he showed that he can be very active this year he had a great year don't exactly have his numbers but I think he only missed two field goals maybe one PAT I could be wrong on that but pretty sure that's right um wouldn't have expected that from either of them coming into the season I think that they did things that nobody really expected and then Ben Asbury didn't miss a snap on the year at least I don't remember him no, missing he, one he didn't he didn't so he, he was absolutely filthy we were good in all three phases of the game Debo took a kickoff back other than Brian Edwards one drop punt. I mean, we really didn't have any mistakes on the special team. So I will say right the here. one mistake you're forgetting the the shank punt against Georgia. That's oh, the yeah, one that mistake. Go to Charlton because that that was a game changer. By the way, just to let you know, on Parker White, thirteen of fifteen on field goals, forty five for forty six on PATs. Yeah, who was I was right? Who did he miss it against? I don't even remember him missing a PAT. 
I, I feel like I remember it, but I can't think of the game. I think it was Tennessee, actually. Was it Tennessee? Oh, my God. That's, um, that's getting my, hit. It was 27-24. Mm. God, it's going to eat me alive. Mm. I don't yeah, know. pretty positive. So. I don't know. Okay. All right, anyways. Um, I'm just trying to look because I'm looking at the stats. I'm like, where – where can I find this? I, I don't know. We'll, we'll do some research because I'm going to need to know. Um, but, yeah, overall, I gave the special teams an A. Like I said, I think the only reason I didn't give an A-plus like you did was simply for there were some – I will say the mistakes made by the special teams this season, again, not by Parker White. He was fantastic this season. I just read off his stats. And he was a guy, Tom, we're going to get to him a little bit in our, our postseason awards. But, I mean, he was a guy I didn't even think would start this season. And the guy who I thought would start it wasn't on the roster. Uh, yeah. against Coastal Carolina to start the season. So that, that shows how much I know. But the only reason I didn't give him an A-plus is because the only mistakes the special teams really made came at such crucial times and were such backbreakers. I mean, the Joseph yeah. Charlton shank punt against Georgia before halftime that really that really just set up another score for Georgia and kind of almost felt like it put that one out of reach before the second half even started. That really, if nothing else, it completely flipped the momentum. And then – we obviously all remember the uh, the Brian Edwards fumbled punt against Texas A&M. I mean, the backbreaker of all backbreakers. That was that was one of those that is that's brutal and is really tough. That that one was tough to swallow. I mean, because that's a game, and I think I even said in the going in that week in a game like that, it's coin flip. It's going to come down to it: who doesn't make the dumb mistake, who doesn't turn the football over, and it turned out to be South Carolina. So I, I think that you know again. The special teams was really good this season. Debo, I thought, for the limited touches he got, um, you know, being able to find the end zone, being able to take one back to the house was obviously fantastic to see. It was a lot of fun to see. Um, and then we got to talk about punt coverage as well. I mean, again, it's funny. It, we we just talked about it for the Akron game. Debo Samuel recovers a punt, uh, fumbled punt in the end zone for a touchdown. I mean, so overall, I think special teams, you got to be really, really happy with what you saw especially with Parker White, because that's what everybody's going to want to focus on with the field goal kicking and what he did. And for him to be able to come back and battle back from last year, where I think everybody was re almost ready to run him off campus, was was fun to watch. He, he really became a weapon, I thought, for South Carolina and special teams. So, all right, yeah, so we're going to move into some news and notes, and then we're going to get into our awards show. So, uh, because there is a ton to talk about. Again, like we talked about, the Gamecocks got the win over Akron, got to 7-5. and five. It was announced on Sunday, South Carolina will be heading to the Belk Bowl. In Charlotte, North Carolina, taking on the Virginia Cavaliers, game set for December 29th at noon. Tom, I am selfishly very excited because, as you know, I live about a mile away from Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, so I will obviously be there. Um, very, very pumped. You know, I, there was a ton of talk with, with South Carolina at the Belt Bowl. Would they get the Gator in Jacksonville? I definitely think the Gator was the consensus favorite amongst the fans of where people wanted to go because Carolina hadn't been to the Gator Bowl since 1987. Um, what was your reaction to find out was the belt bowl? I mean, how do you feel overall as far as that bowl destination for South Carolina? Well, I think considering on the season, it's not where you wanted to go. I think unless you wanted to get here, but with what A&M did against LSU pretty much propelled them over. I think the Florida loss was pretty much the backbreaker for getting one of the top tier bowls for this season for the, um, for what you did this season. But I mean, not a bad, not a bad place considering where some people thought the season was going to go once we got to close after the Kentucky game. But um, I don't, there's not really much to complain. I think Gamecock should be happy with a really close bowl game. Yeah, no, and again, I, I think it's 
I think it's a cool thing in the sense that South Carolina, Charlotte is one of the biggest hubs for South Carolina alumni. Um, obviously, as you all know, you know, we did our show at flight a couple weeks ago in conjunction with the Charlotte Gamecock club. Those guys are absolutely awesome. And I know that I actually talked with Jeff, who's my good buddy, who is uh, on the board with the Gamecock club, Charlotte Gamecock club. They, they're planning on having some events there and gonna, it, it's going to be a really good time. I, if you're a South Carolina fan listening to this and you're on the fence of coming, you need to come. It's going to be an absolutely blast. We're going to have some stuff planned as well that I haven't announced yet that just how we're going to be involved with game day, but uh, it's going to be a good kind of good time. I mean, the only thing that sucks is that it's a noon kickoff, but you know what time I was thinking that just fits in perfectly with this season that the damn thing's a yeah. noon kickoff. It just uh, overall from the matchup perspective, we're obviously going to break this thing down a lot more as we move closer to kickoff because we've got about three and a half weeks. So we've got plenty of time to talk about it, but Tom, how do you feel about the matchup overall? Because me personally, I think, you know, South Carolina Open, for example, is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. That's already jumped up to six-and-a-half. You know, just from – I haven't taken a deep look at Virginia. The only thing I really know about them is they, they do have a dynamic guy quarterback. But I think as a South Carolina fan, you know, if you're going to play in a meaningless bowl game, you might as well play in the meaningless bowl game that gives you the best chance to win. And I think South Carolina finds himself – in a really good position and a really good matchup against a Virginia team that I think they should be able to beat by double digits. Yeah, I think you're on. I think definitely think you're right there. I think that we should be able to handle this game very easily. I don't say easily, but we should be able to handle this game pretty well. I think that South Carolina, if you're going to bet on any game in the world, I would bet the points to South Carolina and take them in this one. I mean, I'm not saying it's a great matchup for us, but considering what the ACC was this year, I think most fans should be pretty pretty happy about getting an ACC opponent. And I think that Virginia obviously probably does some good things. They're seven and five football team. They're at above 500 teams, just like we are. But overall, I think it's a game that South Carolina should handle pretty easily. Yeah, and I'll say this. I mean, for those that wanted the Gator, Texas A&M is having to play NC State. I would much rather be playing Virginia than NC State. I can tell you. Yeah. NC State's actually got some good ball players. Um, so yeah, Kelvin Harmon's actually uh, sitting out their bowl game. So that would Kelvin be Kelvin Harmon is. Yeah, he's sitting out the bowl game for them. Oh well, well. it's kind of similar to us. Best players makes sitting sense, there. and we're about to move into that. That's a good segue. So uh, Kelvin Harmon is sitting out the NC State bowl game. South Carolina's top receiver also electing to sit out the bowl game. Another big piece of news that dropped yesterday. <clears throat> Excuse me, Debo Samuel on his Instagram announcing he is going to skip. The Gamecocks bowl game overall, I would say 99% of the reaction has been positive and supported Debo Samuel. You're obviously always going to have that 1% that's going to just complain just because they can. But overall, Tom, you know, it's disappointing from a fan perspective. And I think if it's not disappointing, it'd be a little sad. But, of course, it's disappointing. We all wanted to see Debo Samuel suit up one more time for South Carolina. But it's a decision to me that I 100% understand. Um, he's a guy that came back after he really didn't have to, after he got injured, came back, you know, gave it one last ride and did what he did for South Carolina this season. I, you know, he's got this one, he, this is his one opportunity to make it in the NFL and to, you know, to get that NFL money. And I I couldn't blame the guy. So I I think it definitely makes sense. No, I think that it's the right decision. I don't think that anybody else could have a different opinion. I don't think that him playing in the belt ball would have added anything to his draft profile. I think that he is what he is at this point. He showed that he could play the full season of football, and he, he did well in a full season. And I think that South Carolina fans should be happy with what he did for South Carolina and not be concerned about one extra game. Yeah, and I just think – I think the only people that are trying to come out and say – you know, because I'll be honest with you, Tom. I, the thing is, I'll be honest. I am not a big advocate of sitting out the bowl game. I don't like it. I don't like when guys just do it. But if there was ever a guy that I understood and agreed with, it's Debo Samuel. When you think about yeah. what 
what he had to fight through just to even get to play this season, just to even come back and play all the, all the countless hours of rehab. And it's not, I mean, here's the thing. He had that terrible injury last year. That wasn't his first injury. I mean, the dude's been injured his entire career. And I mean, especially after you see what happened to Zach Bailey and he watches his teammate basically break his leg in front of him. Yeah. I don't blame the guy one bit for saying, you know what? I got to focus on me and I got to go get my money. I a hundred percent respect it. And again, for a guy that has, put in those countless hours and has fought back from injury and a guy that's been through everything he's been through, you know, it's his decision to make. And I just, you know, I think South Carolina fans should just hope he's happy with his decision and do whatever's best for him. He's still going to be in Charlotte supporting the Gamecocks, obviously. But I think that also, you know, I think it's a cool storyline going in, Tom, that it, it presents us a good opportunity to see what 2019 is going to look like without Debo Samuel, Brian Edwards, Shy Smith, Josh Mann. You're obviously going to have Ortre Smith back next year, but, I think it's going to give a guy like Shy Smith and Josh Van the chance to shine. I really do. Uh, we're going to be able to see can can Shy Smith sort of fill in that role because I think he can. I think he can be that guy. Um, but it will just be interesting to see kind of how that uh, how that dynamic works out. Um, go, no, go ahead. What were you about to say? Well, I was just, I was just going to say that it's going to be a, if Brian Edwards does decide to play in it, not go to the draft and skip it for whatever reason. I, don't, I wouldn't agree with him doing that, but I think it will be great. Great time to see what he could really do as a number one receiver with Jake Bentley being the Jake yeah. Bentley he was against Clemson. I think that everybody would love to see that. Yep, no, that's a good point. I, I will say this: I'm not as I'm not as cool about it with the skipping the bowl game when it's juniors, just because I think you have a whole other year. I mean, yeah. you know, God forbid we don't want to say if you tear your ACL, it's no big deal, but it's kind of like I mean, if you sprain, you know. It, you have a whole nother year. Like you're, I feel like as a junior, you probably have something to prove still to the draft scouts. Like I, you know what I mean? For D, like you're saying, for Debo Samuel, he has nothing to gain. When you're a junior, like Brian Edwards would hundred percent, like he needs to go show something every game, every time he can step on the field, he needs to. Cause I mean, <clears throat> and I, you know, I don't want to get into it too much until he announces because we don't know either way, whether he's coming back or, or leaving. I have to guess right now he's coming back, but I, I, I think we both agree him leaving would be, a mistake. I don't think it'd be the right yeah. decision, but it's his decision. Um, but we'll talk about that more when it actually happens. Um, let's get into the other big roster news that came on. I believe it was Sunday afternoon, maybe Monday. I'm not sure. But Javon Kinlaw um, returning for the 2019 season. He announces on his personal Twitter account. Before we get into that, Tom, it's funny. I should have talked about this in the acting game. How about Javon Kinlaw bodying your boy um, for calling him out on Saturday? Javon yeah. Kinlaw. Yeah, he, uh, he, he made me famous. I'm not going to lie. Got me in the uh, – I had somebody send me a screenshot. I was in the Gamecock Central article, or that, at least that tweet. Uh, and you saw my, my name under it. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, basically when Javon Kinlaw was arguing with the ref and got the flag thrown, I didn't tag him. So, for those who were wondering, I didn't tag Javon Kinlaw. I just basically said that I didn't think it was a good look. And for a guy that was trying to get, possibly go to the NFL – excuse me. For a guy that was possibly trying to go to the NFL, it wasn't a good look. Scouts weren't going to like it. And Javon Kinlaw, quote, found my tweet, uh, quote, tweeted my tweet, and basically called me out. Basically said that I would have been pissed, too, if there was a ref mocking me in my face like the ref was doing, which was new information. I didn't know that. And me and Javon had a good talk. You know, Javon's a good friend of our show. Good, for, He's a good friend of the Spurs Up show. I'm, what am I talking about? He found my tweet. He probably follows me. Um but anyways, we had a good talk after. You know, I never think if a ref insults a player, that's okay. That's not okay. So I, I 100% understand where he's coming from in that regard. But yeah, I just thought that was kind of 
I got bodied by Javon Kinlaw, so it was pretty funny. You did. Um, I, I did. <laughs> I got bodied. I, I had a lot of people in the – it was so funny that people were trying to come after me in the mentions, and I was like, look at the conversation I had with Javon. We're literally cool. We, yeah. we are cool. And I DM'd him afterwards and like, hey, we're good. Like, I, I just want to let you know I'm not trying to throw any shade. I just – it was in the moment of the game, and I just tweeted what I thought. That's kind of what I do. That's what we do. I think he gets it. I think everybody else gets it. So, just kind of a funny thing, though. But anyways, Javon Kinlaw is coming back for 2019. Tom, huge news if you're a South Carolina fan. Huge news if you're Will Muschamp and T-Rob. I think it's the right decision for a guy that showed flashes of what he can do, but I think can get much, much better with another year development. But I think, again, as a Gamecocks fan, you got to be really excited that you're getting Kinlaw back. Yeah, I think that everyone can be on the train that we want him to be back next season. I think that he can use another season of showing what he can do, especially next year, considering how much the teams are going to have to pay attention to him. But if you have everybody back next year, they're going to pay attention to those other guys too. I think it's going to let him uh, let his stats go up some compared to what they were this year. Even this year, I think he had a good year. But overall, I think that it's going to help our team. It's basically like getting a five-star recruit again for a year. It's what it is at this point. Well, and that's what I'm saying is that I think next year what bodes so well for him is that all these young guys that played, like guys like Rick Sandage and – and Ibarre and those guys, they're going to be a year older. And you got a guy like Josh Belk who's going to be in playing shape that should be at his full potential. Uh, then you add in the recruits that are coming in, and, you know, it <clears> – <throat> excuse me. If nothing else, hopefully it's going to take some of those double teams off Javon Kinlaw and just let him eat. Because, yeah. I, I mean, you can't – you're going to have to pick your poison eventually. So, I, I think it's huge news for South Carolina. I mean, again, the, the, the games in the SEC are won on the line of scrimmage. They're won by running the football and stopping the run. And a guy like Javon Kinlaw, I mean, I'm just thinking now, again, it's, you know, we haven't seen it yet, so I don't want to get too ahead of myself because it's not a guarantee it'll happen. But, man, if you can get a game shape of ready-to-play Josh Belk and a Javon Kinlaw lined up next to each other, that's scary. That sounds very yeah, scary. scary to me. I mean, there's a reason, Josh, you know, I, I know we've, you know, we've talked about Josh Belk a little bit. There's a reason he was such a highly rated prospect. I mean, if he can get his motor going and get in shape, like I said, even if it's Javon Kinlaw and Rick Sandage as they're starting to, I mean, that, that Rick, Rick Sandage is going to be a good one for South Carolina. He, he made some big plays this season, again, just as a true freshman, and he's only going to get better. So I, it's only a positive that Javon Kinlaw is coming back and very, very excited to see what he's going to do next season on this defense. Um, finally, some other news and notes. I just want to touch on it. Men's basketball, Gamecocks play at Wyoming tomorrow at Michigan on Saturday. Uh, Tom, you think South Carolina's got a chance in either one of those games? Uh, I don't really know the teams, but I know Michigan's been pretty good this year. So they're top, they're top five. <laughs> yeah, so probably going to have a lot of fun in that game. But overall, I mean, who knows? Probably not. Yeah, the men's basketball team has been very – we're, we're going to get much more into men's basketball as we keep – I guess moving into 2019 and more, you know, once football season's fully over. But, yeah, <clears throat> the men's basketball team right now is so Jekyll and Hyde. It would almost not surprise me if South Carolina lost by double digits to Wyoming and then went and held Michigan to the final possession just because that's the kind of team that South Carolina has this year. A very back and forth, a very, a very inconsistent bunch. Um, but we'll definitely have full coverage and full previews of those upcoming this week on the Spurs Up show as well. All right, let's get into it. The inaugural Spurs Up Show postseason award show. Like I said, Tom, we got our tuxes ready. This is a full-out, full-fledged operation. We've got our awards ready, so let's get into it. Our first award is the Most Valuable Player of 2018, an award that I thought might be a consensus 
award? It is not. Tom, who is your most valuable player of 2018? Uh, we were supposed to be thinking different people, so that's why I chose a lot of well, different guys for all. No, no, you don't have to. You don't know. If there's a consensus – all right, so let, let, let's forget it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. If there's a consensus guy, we can agree that that's who the award for most valuable player goes to. Well, no, okay, just because of that, no, I'm going to go – Obviously, I, people are going to get – I'm going to hate for this, but my most valuable player is Jake Bentley. I okay. think when you look at the second half of the season, if you take Jake Bentley off the team, we're not going to play as well. Obviously, Skarnacki did good in his one game, but there's no guarantee that he comes out and repeats that. And trust me, I was on the biggest start Skarnacki over Bentley train. I, I, I was the league proprietor of that. I wrote an entire article about it, one of my best pieces of all time. Anyway, um, I just – he played so well in the second half of the season. There's been no other quarterback in the history of South Carolina to throw 500 yards against Clemson or a power five team or not, or is a power five or top five, one of the two, something like that. Top five. Okay. A top five team. Jack Bentley went out and did that. He threw five touchdowns against Clemson. That's a record. I mean, I just don't think Michael Skarnicki goes out and does that. I don't care what anyone says. And obviously Debo Samuel was a big reason of that. But I mean, if you'd switch Debo with that, somebody else out, I mean, is it the same thing? I mean, do you get the same? I think that in terms of value, I think Jake is just more valuable because the quarterback position itself is more valuable than wide receiver. Yeah, okay. I I hear the argument. I mean, I, I will say if you're really talking a most valuable player aspect, I mean, <clears throat> you know, as much as we love Michael Skarnacki, this is not a 7-5 team without Jake Bentley on the roster. There's just no way. So, yeah. <clears throat> I, I hear that for the most valuable player. The award for most valuable player from me goes to Debo Samuel. There's no questions asked what he did for South Carolina this season on offense, special teams, um, you know, being on punt coverage. I mean, the guy found a way to score a touchdown every single way. I mean, this season he ran for one he, – he ran for a touchdown. He threw a touchdown pass. Obviously had a ton receiving and then the, uh, the kickoff turn against Ole Miss. So, my MVP award goes to Debo Samuel. All right. Let's move into the Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, I'll go ahead and start. Tom, my, my award for Offensive Player of the Year goes to Donnell Stanley, uh, which may be a surprise to some of you. I know it's the offensive line guys are not the uh, – they're not going to win a popularity contest. But to me, you lose your center. Coming into this season, you had – I had questions. I think we all had questions. How would Donnell Stanley handle – handle the center position when he's the anchor, right, of a hurry-up offense. I mean, you're, you're implementing this temp. We All we heard all offseason was tempo, 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 tempo. I thought and, – and really in that offense, your center's got to be the guy that's like, all right, let's get to the line, let's get to the line, get everybody up. He's got to be that guy. And I thought Donnell Stanley this season did a fantastic job leading that offensive line, you know, calling out the checks, just being the anchor that the Gamecocks needed at, at that center position in his first season, Donnell Stanley, a guy who's got a big decision to make after the bowl game, whether he's going to return for another year or go to the NFL draft. I, I think Donnell Stanley, for me, that's why he's going to get my Offensive Player of the Year award. Tom, who, who does yours go to? Mine's mm, going with the guy who's obviously <laughs> – okay, my voice is cracked again. I hate myself. Anyway, um, mine's going to go with – I'm going to go with Zach Bailey, but we both want O-line. Obviously, I'm a big O-line guy. I couldn't go Offensive Player of the Year without doing this. Zach Bailey was the best offensive lineman this year. He's a guy that's without – if he wouldn't have broke his leg, he'd probably be a top three-round draft pick. I think that he's going to be a guy who has a very long career in the NFL. So many different times it seemed like he was just pulling and absolutely obliterating kids, regardless of what position they were playing. But I think he had to be – without him, I think this year goes a lot differently, and I think that's why he's, he should be the offensive player of the year. 
Yeah, and luckily I think he's going to be okay for the NFL draft. So who knows where he'll go. I mean, he probably won't go quite as high with that injury. But, I mean, he's still going to be a guy I think that's going to be playing on Sundays for a long time. There's no question. All right, let's move into our next award, the Defensive Player of the Year. Tom, who are you giving it to? I'm going to go with J.C. Horn. I mean, he played the best to me overall. He seemed like he showed up in every game. I don't have his exact stats pulled up. Obviously, I don't think he got an interception on the year. But he's going to be a guy who's here for three years and he's gone. I don't think there's any doubt in that. I don't think anybody has any real doubt in that. He'll be the, he'll be quarterback number one next year, and I can't wait because Rashad Fenton made me hate my life the last two games the way he played. But <laughs> overall, I just can't wait for J.C. Horn to be the, part, the number one corner. All right, let me give you a statistics, by the way, J.C. Horn. Um, he had, let's see, 39 total tackles, um, <clears throat> 27 unassisted, 12 assisted, 39 total tackles, three tackles for loss and a sack, eight, eight, uh, breakups, eight pass breakups. So that's eight breakups good. was nah, for a second, kid that's a eight pass breakups was second on the team. Who do you think was number one? Who was number one in pass breakups on the pass team? Pass breakups. Yeah. Keyson Nixon. Yep. He had nine. Boom. You knew who it was because you're like, it's not the obvious answer. It's got to be somebody else. Yeah. It's hysterical. Um, it was nine, eight. And then Jam Williams was third with six. And I mean, he only played. He played like four games. Yeah. Let's see. He played. Where'd he go? Let's see. Um, actually, you know what? I'm wrong. Never mind. That was That's Rashad Fenton. Okay, my bad. Jam Williams had two. Okay, yeah, no, that makes more saying, sense. That, that makes more right. sense. I was like, "Wow, that's absurd." Um, okay, yeah, no, I love the JC Horn pick. Um, my the award for me for defensive player of the year goes to TJ Brunson, uh, a guy that we talked about a lot before the season. Uh, again, I think JC Horn's a great pick, but TJ Brunson <clears throat> really, you know, led a very let's just face it, a weak uh, position unit with the linebackers. Led the team in total tackles, and it wasn't even close. He had 94 total tackles, 10 and a half tackles for loss, four sacks on the season. I mean, it's crazy because, you know, we didn't. I don't think we realized how good of a season he was having because the defense wasn't having a great season. Um, but he was a guy, obviously, that's almost let, led the team in tackles almost every single game. You know, we all had questions about could he fill in and be that Sky Moore type guy. And, well, I think it may have taken him a little bit longer this season than we all anticipated. I think he eventually – I think he eventually filled in that role and kind of was that guy and was that leader on defense that we were all hoping for. And I think next year around a group of guys that are all healthy and maybe a little bit more, a little bit more health or excuse me, health, health, well, health and help on the defensive line. I think TJ Brunson's a guy who should benefit from that and even have an even better season in 2019. So my defensive player of the year, TJ Brunson. All right, let's move into our offensive rookie of the year. Tom, I'll start. My offense, my award for offensive rookie of the year goes to Dylan Wanham. Pretty easy selection for me here. A guy comes in on the offensive line about, what would you say, midway through the season, maybe a quarter way through the season. Um, you know, takes over the right tackle position, does not miss a beat. I don't have his official statistics pulled up really. I mean, there's not really stats you can pull for an offensive yeah, line. I mean, just pressures, just, pressures given up and stuff like that. There's no right, real pancakes, stuff like that. But overall – you could watch him on the field for a guy that, again, went toe-to-toe with some of the best, especially you think of the Clemson game and the way he was able to handle himself. I, I just – I was really impressed with Dylan Wanham. And, again, Tom, you talked about J.C. Horn. He might be another guy that's three years and out because you look at him, he is a yeah. massive human being. And, again, for him to play the way he did, I mean, he's without a doubt a starter next season and a guy that's really going to anchor this South Carolina uh, offensive line. 
No, I definitely agree. I think that he's going to be a guy who's, like you said, three and out. I think that he's a really special player in South Carolina. But my offensive rookie of the year is going to go to Josh Fan. He's a guy who stepped up whenever he was needed to, especially considering I think there were – I think Travis Dawkins came into the season a little bit hurt, so he had to come in and be that fourth receiver for South Carolina, especially with Ortre Smith going out too. I think that he stepped up really well and is going to be a guy who's going to be the Debo Samuel replacement to a point next year, even though that's more of a committee thing. But he's going to be a guy who's going to have a really good career in South Carolina. Yeah, no, 100% agree. I love the Josh Van pick. He was a guy I talked about in preseason that I thought he kind of had the year that I expected in the sense that I told people in preseason, Josh Van's not going to play a ton. He's not going to, you know, light up the stat sheet because he's behind so many good guys, but he's going to have a couple of moments this season where people go, wow, he's got some talent. And I think yeah. we saw that. I, I think we saw a couple flashes where you could see, you can see why he was a four star rated wide receiver without a doubt. Um, <clears throat> All right, let's move into our defensive rookie of the year. Tom, I'll let you start. Who was your defensive rookie of the year for 2018? Uh, I was going to go with – I mean, I didn't want to pick the same guy for defense player of the year and rookie of the year. because that, That's fair. That's fair. J.C. Horn didn't really play like a rookie, but J.J. Barre, I think, is a guy who, who just killed it this season considering his size difference. I mean, he's playing – he's 260, 270, playing D-tackle in the SEC, which is hard to do, but a guy who's just going to fight all the time. And once he really grows in that body, can be a, a really strong D-tackle for us. I think another guy that's going to have a really long career for South Carolina it will be a guy who's playing on Sundays. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I, I think any bar – I think there's just – that again, we talked about that's something that South Carolina fans have got to be fired up about. There's so much young talent in this team. My defensive rookie of the year, obviously, since he wasn't my defensive player of the year, it's got to be J.C. Horn. I mean, the dude balled it. It's crazy to me, Tom. There wasn't even a – there was not a time this season where I thought, man, oh, God, he looks like a freshman. I mean, he, oh, my goodness. He, yeah. you know, he showed – or he. there was no adjustment period for him. I mean, you think about back the first game against Coastal Carolina when he had the big sack and he, you know, he made a play that I thought really exemplified his football knowledge, his football IQ where – you know, for those that remember, when J.C. Horn shot off the edge and came to the Coastal Carolina quarterback's blindside, and he threw his fist to the ball, like trying to punch the football out, that's a veteran play. Like, to, to know, to have the awareness to do that, to not just try to get the sack, but to force the fumble. I mean, since day one, J.C. Horn has, like you said, has not played like a freshman. And he's going to be a guy that after three years or after 2020 is, is gone. So, um Enjoy watching him, South Carolina fans, because he's not going to stay past that, barring injury. Um, but, yeah, easy selection for me for defensive rookie of the year. Um, all right, comeback player of the year. This one's pretty easy as well. We going consensus on this one, Tom? Yeah, definitely. All right, the consensus award for comeback player of the year goes to none other than Debo Samuel. A very, very easy selection, Tom. I think both of us, a guy that we talked about earlier, has battled through so much, has given everything he possibly has. The University of South Carolina did everything he possibly could to get back on the field, you know, return to school when he didn't have to after suffering the injury in week three of last season uh, or 2017 season. And to be able to come back and what he did and have the season he had, um, let's see overall statistics, how many touchdowns he finished up with. I think it was – I don't know how many was it. Let's see here. But, yeah, again, just an overall – a great season from Debo Samuel. I mean, there's nothing more. I don't think there's anything more. Let's see. He had 11 receiving. He had – he finished with 30 touchdowns for his career, by the way. So, um, not bad. Let's see. He had 11 receiving, one punt – or one punt – or 
punt fumble recoveries. That's 12. He had another on the kickoff return. That's 13. So he had 13. Excuse me. Then he threw one. He also threw one. His passing stats on the season, one for one for 13 yards and a touchdown. So he finished the season with 14 overall touchdowns. Again, just coming back from the injury, Tom. I don't know if you got anything to add on it, but just an, an incredible story, not just for South Carolina, but I think for college football as well, the way Debo Samuel was able to rebound and come back this season. I mean, I don't have much to add. I think he just was a, had a great year, and I don't think there's much anything else South Carolina fans could have asked out of him. Yep, yep, 100%, 100%. All right, let's get into our most improved player. I'll start with this one, Tom. My award for most improved player goes to none other than Parker White. I think it's got to go to Parker White, especially when I was the one dogging him in the preseason. Um, Parker, again, we talked about earlier what he did, 13 for 15 on field goals, 45 for 46 on PATs, I mean, there's just not much more you can ask. I also will say the game plan this season was very much improved for him. I think the coaching staff did a much, much better job of not putting him in bad situations. You saw his long this season was 42. He was not asked to kick a 50-yarder or anything crazy like that, which I say kudos to the coaching staff for realizing that and not putting him in bad situations. And I think we saw his confidence develop over the season, and we really saw what he's capable of. So my most improved player, without a doubt, Parker White. Tom, who's, uh, who's your most improved player in 2018? Uh, most improved player of 2018. I think there are a lot of different candidates for that, but um, <laughs> you obviously took the easy one, so I'm gonna go the hard route. Mon Denson. I mean, I don't really know what he did last season, but nothing compared to this year. Multiple games he came into where nothing was really expected out of him, just played out of his mind. I think he's a guy that, I mean, he's obviously looked over the fourth string running back, but had a great season for us, considering how much hype was on um. Or not AJ Turner. How much height was really on? I guess you could say AJ Turner too. AJ Turner, Rico Dowdle, and Tyson Williams. But um, just a guy that I think from last year nobody really expected a lot of him. But this year just came in and played when he had to do. And I really a coach's player in my opinion. A guy that's just come in and play hard. Yeah, no, without a doubt. I mean, anybody, anytime a guy is fourth string running back and can do what he did for South Carolina when his when his numbers called, uh, that's pretty awesome to see. All right, let's move into coach of the year. This is an interesting one. So we're talking about the Gamecocks coach um, that we think deserves the coach of the year award, no matter who it is on the staff. I'll let you start, Tom. Who gets the award for coach of the year for 2018? Um, I'm just going to go with Brian McClendon. I think that's that's or that's or the easy pick here. I think that he's a guy who came in and the expectations were high and he fulfilled them, at least in the second half of the season. I think that the offense played extremely well. The receivers were kind of poor in the first half of the season. I think him coming down to the field in the second half really helped them, especially because they could get yelled at right there in front of them if they dropped the pass. I think that probably helped a lot if your coach is definitely on the field instead of up in the box. But um, overall, just a great season for him, a guy who's due for a pay raise. Oh, no, 100%. He's got to get a pay raise. At South Carolina, you've got to lock him down. Another guy I think you've got to lock down is my 2018 coach of the year the award goes to Eric Wolford offensive line coach Wolfie another guy I think you should lock down uh the reason I give it to him Tom I cannot think of a single game this season where I look back and say the offensive line just played terrible and that's why South Carolina lost I think South Carolina's offensive line and I think that's one of the things that when the offense and Jake Bentley was struggling that made it so frustrating because we knew how good the O-line was playing and I mean they weren't perfect in run blocking or anything but we knew how good this offensive line was playing. I mean, we, you know, and it felt like you were almost kind of wasting it. So I think Eric Wolford, the job he's done, the way he continues to evaluate talent, I think he's a guy, Tom, that's as important as any on this staff. And I think if South Carolina's wise, they will, they will, you know, they'll sack up and pay Eric Wolford what he deserves and keep him on staff for a couple more years. Because to me, again, he, he is a, he's the offensive line 
G, if you will. Yeah. I, I know you, you of all people can respect the offensive line guru that is Eric, that is Eric Wolford. So he's for real. Yeah, without a doubt. Okay, so this next award, we're starting to get into kind of some fun ones. Um, this next award, I'm going to read it, Tom. I'm going to read it as the person it is depicted off of would. So it's the it's the Are You Kidding Me play of the year inspired by Todd Ellis. But the way he would read it is the Are You Kidding Me play of the year. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and start, Tom. So the Are You Kidding Me play of the year for me. The award goes to Brian Edwards, the one-handed catch he had at Ole Miss. Absolutely fantastic. I'd say probably the catch of the year, arguably the catch of the year in college football. We all remember the one-hander where the Ole Miss receiver or Ole Miss defensive back is just draped on Brian Edwards, and he makes a fantastic catch. So, uh, you know, that's a pretty easy decision to me. Tom, who is your who you're going to give the Are You Kidding Me play of the year to? Originally for this, I was going to go with Devo's one-handed touchdown against Coastal Carolina. But now that I think about it, I don't think any player is more deserving of the Are You Kidding Me award other than Sherrod Green's pick six against Missouri. As terrible as he played at times this year, the kids showed up in that game and the Texas A&M game for whatever reason, and without that pick six, we don't win that game. So Sherrod Green, Are You Kidding Me, pick six, doing style. That's a good one in the sense because I think everyone said, are you kidding me? I, I, yeah. Sherrod Green? Sherrod Green, who we're all just dogging five minutes ago? I don't do a bad Todd Ellis. I, I, my voice is a little raspy because we've been on air so long. But are you kidding me? That, that's, that's just a classic. That's a classic Todd Ellis line. Love it. Anyone listening to this show knows exactly what we're talking about. Too. That's the beauty of it. Um, okay, let's move into our biggest surprise. Uh, the, the award for biggest surprise this season, Tom, I'll let you start. Who was the biggest surprise? Uh, I'm going to go with Parker White, considering how much that I didn't think that he was going to be the starting kicker going into the season. I definitely thought that it was going to be Shane Hines, I think was the kid's name. Don't even know yep. what he's doing yep. now, really. But um, He went to like some White. D2 school. <laughs> yeah, Parker White, 13-15 on the year, missed one PAT. What else can you ask out of the kid? Yep, no, I love it. Um, my award for biggest surprise – Goes to the injury bug. The injury bug made its appearance this season for South Carolina, reared its ugly head. I, for one, I mean, <clears throat> you never go into a season predicting that players are going to get injured, but just the number of players on one side of the ball that was the South Carolina defense, Tom, I don't think anybody could have seen that coming. So, overall, I was just shocked at how many guys South Carolina lost to injury. So, um, all right, let's move into biggest disappointment. Moving to di biggest disappointment for the 2018 season. I'll start with this one, Tom, because I'm curious to see how people are going to feel about this one. My, <clears throat> my award for biggest disappointment in 2018 goes to defensive back Rashad Fenton. I just think that Rashad Fenton, with the whole Fenton Island stuff in 2017 and sort of the hype he had around him and what people were expecting, I thought Rashad Fenton had a very okay year I mean it's never a good thing for a guy like Rashad Fenton or especially a guy like Keyshawn Nixon when a guy like JC Horn shows up and from the first game he plays on the field is a better defensive back than you I did yeah that's what it looked like all season long I mean granted Rashad Fenton did have three interceptions on the season he didn't have a terrible year but I think specifically the Clemson game there were some times where I thought Rashad Fenton got absolutely exposed and for a guy that you know, you know, is going to try to is, is going to has aspirations of going to the league, and I think has some skill. 
it was it was disappointing to me. It was a disappointing season. And then uh, the, the one of the big things with Rashad Fenton too. He's I, I saw this on Twitter, and I think it's true. They said Rashad Fenton is the uh, the king of if he's covering a guy and the uh, the quarterback overthrows the guy by ten yards. Rashad Fenton loves to do the whole incomplete arms and like celebrate like. He's like the prototypical defensive back when it comes to yeah. celebrating when he did nothing. <laughs> he loves to jaw over nothing. So, I think that's hysterical. Uh, but, all right, so your biggest disappointment award of 2018, Tom, who are you giving it to? Mine's going to be the running backs. It's just because of the hype that Tyson Williams and Rico Dowdle had. And I'm sure some of it was injury-wise, and it obviously sucks that they had injuries. But I'm just disappointed because it would be insane to me to know what the offense could be like if we had a stable running game to go with how well Jake Bentley played in the second half of the season. Like, I just would love to know what it's like, especially considering how good the offensive line played. Yeah, that, that that's a good one. I, I like the running backs just because we had – I think the biggest disappointment of the running backs was just that nobody established themselves as the clear number one. And then for another season, Rico Dowdle could not stay healthy. Just for whatever reason, he cannot stay healthy. So, no, I, I like that pick a lot. All right, let's move into these are these are really starting to get fun now. I know they said they were getting fun earlier, but these are these are some cool awards we have coming up. Best moment of the 2018 season. Tom, I'll let you start. Who are you giving your award the best moment to? I mean, I don't really I guess the offense is who I'm giving it to, but going down the field and scoring a touchdown on the first drive against Clemson and just absolutely tearing their defense apart was probably the best moment of the season to me, considering how low my expectations were for that game. And I, I was expecting to be home in Columbia by the second considering, quarter. Considering you were watching that game with me at flight, yeah. that was awesome. I mean, best best moment of the year for me. I mean, obviously doing the pregame show and then doing all that stuff. Overall, just that first drive and the absolute insanity that was flight after we scored that touchdown was the best moment Dude, of the season. Flight went insane when South Carolina scored that touchdown. South Carolina went absolutely insane. Yeah, that, that was a good – I will say – that was a good moment because I remember the whole drive, you and I were looking back at each other, and I remember saying, I remember being third down, so I'm like, Tom, if we score a touchdown here, Clemson fans are going to shit themselves. Next thing you know, Jake Bentley hits Debo Samuel, and everybody's just like, holy sh-. I think everybody, it was just so unexpected. Nobody expected the game to start that way. So, no, I, I like that one. That, that's a good one. Um, yeah, for best moment, you talk, we could talk about the live show from Flight. I mean, that was a huge highlight. We could talk about the fact that we, you know, became became our own entity, became the Spurs Up show on November the 11th, the day after the Florida game. That was, I think, a great moment of this season. But overall, to me, my award for best moment has got to go to hashtag Scar Season. The South Carolina-Missouri game, the legend of Michael Skarnecchia is born. One of the most interesting, fun games. It was also, Tom, the birth of us using GIFs, which is a beautiful thing now. A beautiful thing. We, it was the birth of – I think you may still have it pinned, by the way, the, the, the Scar star, Season yeah, GIF still, of the uh, – Still my pin on Twitter. Still pinned, him walking out. We had some of the funniest GIFs ever for that game. And then the Scar Season T-shirt we released. And then, the, obviously, the way that game all went down. I mean, really, Michael Skarnecchia being – the unsung hero of the 2018 season. I mean, if South Carolina doesn't find a way to beat Missouri that day, I think the season turns out much differently than it did. So just overall, that that entire day, um, you know, I was unable to be at that game. But just being able to cover that game and watch and all the back and forth and the whole scar season stuff to me was like the coolest moment without a doubt. And for me, the best moment of 2018. 
All right, let's move into the worst quote, I hate myself moment. Uh, Tom, I'll let you start with this one as well. Uh, my I hate myself moment was the Spurs Up Show burner account. Apparently, everyone <laughs> literally hated that idea, and it got shut down. Uh, within- hey, hey, we didn't shut it down. We yeah, didn't, yeah, we didn't shut, we it had down. To shut it down. We, we were required to give up that account for some very stupid reasons, but – I miss I miss the Spurs Up Show burner account. I wish it was still around. I mean, it was a very sweet prince, and he will be missed. I I will say the one of the funnier things of this season is when we had to give that account up, and you literally tweeted from what like eleven eleven to eleven twelve. Yeah, <laughs> All right, it, was, no, it was eleven eleven to eleven eleven. It was literally the oh, same. It, literally, it literally lasted a day. That account lasted one full twenty four hour cycle, and then we had to give it up. So. No, that that was good. I, I like that. All right, so <clears throat> mine is actually on the football field. So my award for worst I hate myself moment goes to sitting in Williams-Brice Stadium in the fourth quarter of the Georgia game and hearing Sandstorm and hearing Sandstorm when we were down 100 freaking points. So I was at the South Carolina-Georgia game, paid probably $130 for a ticket, paid a good amount of money for a ticket, I'll say. Um and I stayed the whole game. I, I just, you know, I, I've, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I don't make it a habit, but I have left games early before. Um, but I was staying the night in, in Columbia. So, I mean, I had nowhere to go. I, I wasn't in a rush to go. But anyways, I stayed the clock at zero. I, you know, especially with doing the Spurs Up show stuff, I feel like I'm obligated to stay till the clock's at zero no matter what. And South Carolina, Jake Bentley threw a touchdown to Brian Edwards with, I don't know, seven, eight minutes left, maybe six minutes left. And South Carolina was down I don't, 41 to 10 or something at that point. And, you know, before that, I'll say, I said it was Sandstorm, but before that, when South Carolina's down 30 and it comes on to the fourth quarter and you hear the, this is our time. We, what does he say? <laughs> Jeff, Dillman, Jeff Dillman comes on the speakers at Williams Bryce. Your time is now. And I'm sitting there like, oh my God, like, just kill me. And then South Carolina scores a touchdown to make it like a 24-point game. And they play Sandstorm after the score. And I just remember sitting there being like, I just want to I want to kill myself. This is the worst thing I've ever been through. Georgia fans are losing their mind. Georgia fans are like waving their towels and waving their pom-poms to Sandstorm. I'm like, this is, this is, this is hell. This is a living hell right now. So yep. that was without a doubt the hate myself moment for me. Um, all right. A consensus award. For best new Twitter account, and I'm so, so glad that we are finally bringing this up on the, uh, on the Spurs Up show because this is something that Tom and I have been laughing about for a couple of weeks now that, I, that you all need to know about if you didn't already know. Um, my, the, the consensus award for best new Twitter account goes to Tommy Hot Takes. Someone actually went out there and made a Tommy Hot Takes Twitter account. The official handle is at Thomas Hot Takes. I'm on the account right now. The profile picture is the top of Tom's face snipped off of the podcast logo. So it's like the top of Tom's cartoon face. The header image is <laughs> the, the header image is a dumpster fire. Yeah, I think she's really hilarious. It's a legit dumpster fire. The bio is, I make the hottest takes you've ever seen. It's true. And then some of the replies, this one specifically that I'm pulling up, 
November the 16th. And this, we had, now you think about that. That's on November the 16th. We've only been the Spurs Up show with those logos, with our own entity or with our own outlet for a week. Tom tweets, Lamar beats Williston Elko 48-22. Tom quote tweets and says, let's go. Tommy Hot takes replies and says, stick to eight man scrub. So, see, I think she's hilarious. And so I quote tweeted that and said, LOL at this account and quote tweeted or uh, tag Tom. Tommy Hot Takes replies, just here to expose Thomas's hot takes. I mean, are you sure this isn't your buddy that made this account? It has to be. I don't think so. I mean, I don't know, but I don't even, I just, when I die of my deathbed, they tell me who made this account. God. And, and then just some other ones. You quote tweet our live show. He says, hope you're talking about eight-man football, buddy. For those that don't know, what, it, Lamar's eight-man football, right? No, Lamar is single-leg football in South Carolina. I played eight-man football Oh, you play? School. Okay, okay. So this person knows enough this about me. knows me. Like, he has to. Knows you or knows or enough to the about podcast. Me. Or he listens, which is hysterical. Yeah. November 21st, my name is Tom, at Tom the Bomb, and my takes suck. <laughs> Oh, See, I think he is God. the most classic guy of all time. I just, I just. Oh. He tweeted, I, I tweeted a tweet because everybody knows how big I am about the triple option offense. How much he I love said it. bandwagon. I see. Yeah. That's hysterical. Like, how are you bandwagon about a triple option offense that was exist has existed for forty five years? Maybe he's saying that you're a bandwagon in Georgia Tech. Yeah, definitely. Which is. Right. Even more, I think even more absurd. Yeah, that I would bandwagon Georgia Tech. That's outrageous. Yeah, absolutely. No, that that's that's phenomenal. Like seriously, I, I'm not saying to go follow the account, but yes. it would actually be pretty hysterical if that account he follows one person, me, and has zero followers. So he hold on, he has what now? He follows uh, one oh, yeah. person, me, and zero followers. That that's true. Yeah, he he's got a he's got zero. So everybody, if you're listening to this right now, go follow at Thomas Hot Takes. Yeah, at Thomas T H O M A S Hot Takes. It's a it, it might inspire him to even tweet more, which would be funny. Um, yeah. Okay, definitely listen to this show right now. Yeah, I would. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, okay, and, and, you know what? I'll say this: if you're going to be Tommy Hot Takes, at least retweet the podcast. That's all we ask. Um, yeah. All right, best guest for the 2018 season because we had a ton of them on. Uh, the award for best guest, I'll start, Tom. Award for best guest for me goes to Connor Shaw. The GOAT, the absolute legend. I don't know if there's anybody else you can really give it to, but for me, I, I and I definitely am biased because I actually interviewed him. I know, Tom, you've done a couple interviews yourself. Um, but for me, to be able to sit down to talk to Connor Shaw, a guy that I grew up, or a guy that I, you know, went to williams Bryce and watched and someone that we all cheered for, absolutely legendary conversation. I know you guys all enjoyed it as well, so. Uh, my best guest has got to be Connor Shaw. Tom, who was your best guest for the uh, 2018 season? I'm going to go with Ron Holinsky, obviously, partly because I interviewed him, but partly because he's baby He's going to be the next guy to come through South Carolina. Uh, hopefully he'll be better, end up being a better quarterback than Connor Shaw. I think he has everything he is to take that. I think he's a great kid, and he's going to be a great quarterback at South Carolina. Yeah, no, absolutely. And his interview was phenomenal as well. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. All right, yeah. wrapping up the – Spurs Up show, inaugural awards ceremony, postseason awards. Uh, we're going to finish it out. We're going to round out here with the funniest moment of the 2018 season. Tom, I'll let you start. What was your funniest moment of the 2018 season? Uh, that will be when Will Muschamp rushed to Josh Kendall. I don't even know if it's a rush. He just basically just brushed off his question and act like Josh Kendall was an idiot for asking a political question at a football conference, which – 
he is an idiot for that. I hate Josh Kennel. I think everyone else who's a South Carolina fan hates Josh Kennel. I don't care if he's listening to this. I'd say it to his face. I think he's a douchebag. But anyway, I hope Lovell my champ death. Hope he continues to roast Josh Kennel at every point he can. Yeah. No, dude, the, the entire uh the entire voting thing and the way that everyone turned on Josh Kendall was, was hilarious. Hysterical. I, and that's all I'll say. <laughs> um my my award for funniest moment of the 2018 season goes to the Are you kidding me? Todd Ellis viral tweet that we had that, you know, you all probably saw it on social media. Everyone was putting um you know, the brain, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. Our viral tweet that was South Carolina makes a big play, brain, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. Or Todd Ellis's brain, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. And at the bottom, are you kidding me, was very well timed for one and just an amazing tweet that took off. Yeah. So that, that just, the, just how popular that tweet was and how just how perfectly it fit with the season because – the the whole are you kidding me thing came up this season and the, in the highlights it was just very funny it all went together so well so perfectly so um definitely my funniest moment but yeah that that's going to wrap up the inaugural spurs up show postseason award ceremony appreciate you guys tuning in we're going to make that a yearly thing so i guess we'll uh we'll reconvene and do it again time after the 2019 season but we're going to finish up really quickly i know we've kept you guys for a while we've got some listener questions we definitely want to get into um before we do that, again, I do want to remind all you guys this podcast, the Spurs Up Show, is presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. The Belt Bowl is coming up. What are you doing? Go get your tickets. Go sit on the Gamecock side. Come to Charlotte. Party it up. Sit with us. We're going to be at the game. Go get your tickets on SeatGeek right now. Use the promo code SPURSUP. That's S-P-U-R-S-U-P. Get $20 off your first purchase on SeatGeek when you use that promo code. Let me give you a secret, guys. If you've already got the SeatGeek app and you still want to save $20 on your purchase for the Belt Bowl, for the, for the South Carolina basketball games, if you want to go to Hootie and the Blowfish, if you want to go to a comedy club, if you want to go to anything else and you want to use the promo code but you've already got an account, simple solution. Use a different email, create a new account, use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to get that $20 off. So do it, especially if you're coming to the Belt Bowl. I want all South Carolina fans. Nobody has an excuse. Tom, if you don't use this promo code, you just don't you don't like saving money. Basically, what you're yeah. saying is I'm too rich to save twenty dollars. And you know Nothing what? I doubt anybody that listens to this podcast and listens to us ramble weekly is in that boat. So download SeatGeek if you haven't already done so. If you have, create a new account, use the promo code Spurs Up, get twenty dollars off your purchase, and we'll see you at Bank of America Stadium on December 29th. All right, let's get into these listener questions um, because we do have a few of them. And I'm currently pulling it up here. All right, let's see. Okay, here we go. Oh, yeah, we got a good bit of them. Sweet. Okay. Um, I'll let you we'll, – we'll run the, through these pretty quick, Tom. Uh, I'll let you start with this one because you already answered this kind of last week. But underscore Carolina Gamecock says, what's your opinion on us versus Clemson next season? Uh, I think it's going to be a really good game. I think South Carolina wins by – Two touchdowns, depending on whether or not the defense can play. Yep, and I tend to agree with you on that there. Uh, Little Skipper 14 asks, can we win two of the games? Can we win two of the games between Bama, UGA, and Clemson next year? I'm going to say no, right? Right uh, now, I'm going to say no. I mean, we, can we? Can you? Yeah, I'm going to say no right now. I just, I, you know, that it's, it's asking. That's a really tall task. I mean, you're, you're not beating Bama. Let's just go ahead and throw that out. You're not beating Alabama. And you got to travel to Athens next season. 
So I think asking a South Carolina team that you're going to have a senior quarterback, but who who knows what's going to happen with the injury bug? Who knows what's going to happen with everything else? I just think asking, you know, can they? I mean, anything's possible. Right now, I'd put my money on no. I'd absolutely yeah, put my money on I, I tend to agree. I think that it would take a lot to win two out of those three. I think if you're going to win any of them, it'd be at Georgia and then Clemson at home. I think Alabama's just – they're just too much right now. I mean yeah, – It's not another same, level. Yeah, it's just – we're just not the, the same program they are right now. And there's nobody can deny that. I mean, nobody is. So, yeah. it's not something South Carolina fans should feel bad about. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Judd Rupp asked, what happened to Chris Silva this year? This is supposed to be his year. Um, I don't know what's going on with Chris Silva right now. I mean, he's a guy that I feel like has his head up his ass. But for South Carolina to have any success this season in basketball, they're going to need Chris Silva. They're going to have to get more out of him. And not yeah. just him, the veteran guys, but especially Chris Silva. I mean, he looks – he looks lost out there. So, I, I don't know what's going on with him, but he's got to figure it out quick if this team wants to have any success. Yeah, I mean, um, it just doesn't – it doesn't make a ton of sense considering he was a guy who's SEC Defense Player of the Year. SEC preseason All-SEC. Yeah, I mean, a guy who should be averaging 20 and 10, and I don't think he's averaging yeah. 12 and 8. I mean, that's a no. pretty, pretty big drop-off, but I don't know. I think a lot of it is he has too much weight on his shoulders, and he think, he's thinking that he has to do too much, and therefore he's not playing the level he's supposed to. But as soon as he just starts playing like the Chris Silva we know, I think that the team itself will turn around. And that he's not really like a natural leader, to be perfectly honest with you. Like He's not really that guy. So He's not a guy who should be at an SEC school average of 20 and 10. He's not. Right, right. I agree. Um, capped underscore way. And why are we only favored three and a half against a shitty Virginia team? Well, we're actually favored by six and a half now because that line went up. But I agree. I thought it was absurd that it opened at three and a half. Um, <clears throat> Dylan underscore Mac five. Do you see us winning the East in the next two years? Um, I mean, I'm going to lean closer to three and be Holinsky's red shirt <laughs> sophomore year. If he red shirts yeah. next year, I, I think, I mean, it's going to be tough regardless, but I would say, will it happen before Ryan Holinsky graduates? Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's the metric you need to use. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Matthew underscore Swain. Dillman's a good strength guy, but does he deserve some blame for the injuries? I would say, I mean, I think you can look at, there's a lot of things you can look at and blame for the injuries. I, I just, the thing with me though, Tom, is when everybody tries to come at, well, it's the strength and conditioning. I mean, like, the play with Zach Bailey, how is that a strength and conditioning issue? The guy I rolled think, up on his leg. I mean – I think more people are just talking about the amount of, like, just sprains and stuff like that right. that happens, and it keeps guys out for, like, eight weeks. Like, how does it right. work? Like, I don't, I don't understand it. And, I mean, maybe it's they're just trying to be precautious and not take away their career by hurting them more, which is very understandable. I think everybody would agree with that. But – Overall, I just – I don't know. Maybe it's an yeah, Under Armour thing. I mean, I don't know. It's weird how many guys we have hurt. I mean, that's – I mean, I, I'll agree. It's something they got to look at in the offseason. I mean, you got to. But try to figure it out. 100% of the blame on Jeff Dillman and say he should be fired. I just – I think that's a little absurd, to yeah. be honest with you. Um, Ethan Baumgartner, thoughts on Evan Henson? Feel like the kid could be a household name if he only played. What do you think? Uh, I mean, the tight end room is really deep right now. Casey Crosby is one of the – better athletes that tied in to ever come through South Carolina. You saw how underused I would say he was. And I definitely think that next season, Kyle Markway and Keel Pollard are going to be a, a very lethal combo at tight end. But overall, I think Henson would be better off if he just focused on one because it's very hard to play two 
two sports like college football and college basketball at the SEC level and be really good at both. I mean, unless you're Bruce Ellington, I don't think it's going to happen a lot. And obviously Bruce decided to focus on football and became an NFL player. So maybe the same thing is in the, in the, in the making for Henson if he decides to stick with one, but I, I think yeah, he'd be better off sticking to one, but household name, I don't know about. Yeah. I feel the same way. I just, I don't know. It, it kind of stinks too for the guy like that. Like I know you want to play two sports, but if you don't ever stick to one, it's going to be, Really hard. It's going to be hard to get in the NFL or the NBA if you're just playing right. one. All right. Underscore Russell Hanvey underscore. Record next year, um, just off the top of my head, I'll say eight and four. Yeah, I, I tend to I tend to lean towards more nine and three going with losses to Alabama, Georgia, and then A&M on the road. Other than that, I think every game we play is pretty much winnable. Right. Hampton dot little. Will we score more than 35? I assume he's talking about the Virginia game. I'll – I say we score more, but barely. I say probably about 38. Yeah, I tend to – I tend to agree. I think that Virginia – I think we're going to have a really good game against Virginia. I'm not saying we're going to blow them out because that's just my expectations going in. But right. we start out fast and Brian Edwards plays in the ballgame, I'll be pretty confident. And if we get our – and Bryce Nye Williams comes back too, I think that will be a big boost for us. Right. Uh, Squints too. If South Carolina wasn't bitten by the injury bug this year, what would their regular season record be? Tom, what do you think? Um, I tend to, I mean, I say eight and four because you can definitely stop that nosebleed against Florida. Other than that, I really think every game is about the same. Yeah, I was going to say eight and four as well. I definitely think you win the Florida game. I could see nine and three, though. I think with a – I could definitely see them definitely. I could definitely see right, really I think well. all the others would go exactly the same, but I could definitely see A&M going the other way. Um, McCleo DDT. What are your thoughts on Joiner with Ryan coming in? Will he stick around long term? So it's funny. He said on his personal Twitter account he was, which <clears throat> gives me some indication that he may be open to a position change. I, I mean, I, I don't know that for a fact. I'm completely guessing here, but I mean, his if tw- he's willing to stay on campus, like the only way he's going to see the field is a position change. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, I don't want to knock I mean, the guy, but. I, but I mean, it's a very tough question because I think he obviously can be a very good quarterback, but if Holinsky's the better passer and that's what they want is a, is a passing quarterback and not a, more of a dual threat kind of like Jordan would be, and that's not to say that Jordan couldn't be an elite passer because he has another year to sit behind Billy, and I think that in two years from now when that quarterback competition is open between Jordan and Holinsky, I think it's going to be a very fun time to watch. And Yurik, too, I mean, hey, Yurik might be a good player. We don't really know yet, but I think it's going to be a very interesting battle to watch in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I 100% agree. I think it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds for sure. Yeah. Um, Alex Bryant underscore Clinton. How is our defense going to hold up against Virginia? Uh, Tom, I would say better than people expect maybe. I think yeah. South Carolina's young defense. And you should have Bryson Halloween's back. Do we get so, – supposed to be back for this game or do they have any idea? I would say probably not. I, I just – I don't know. At this point – Does anybody know really what's wrong with him? Like do we have any clue? I think ligament problems in his ankle. I mean, from what I know, I mean, the, the injury report for South Carolina has become – I'd just shut him down for the year and then yeah, just be ready for – 100% well, ready for – The injury report for South Carolina has become a joke at this point because if Will Muschamp so the guy's probable, he's probably out for like a month. With the, so, if it's like, with the, he's going to be all right, that means he's going to be out for a couple of weeks. If, yeah. if J.C. Horn is back and if um, Braxton Williams is back, I'd say we hold them to less than yeah. I, 21 points or so. I mean, take it for what it's worth. Will Muschamp said that if they would have had a game this Saturday, J.C. Horn would have been full go. So, 
I don't know. I, that to me uh, translates to me. I, I'm thinking he'll be ready by the belt roll. I mean, yeah. you know, Should you would be. think so. That's three and a half weeks from now. And um, I don't know if we have any listener questions about this, but I know a guy that has played for is Ernest Jones, and I'm pretty sure that he's going to end up sitting out the bowl game to reserve a, um to get a red shirt back. I think oh, really? so is what I feel about. It's the way I feel about it, the way Muschamp spoke about right, it, is that right, he'll right. probably end up taking the red shirt. Well, I think I mean, especially if Bryson on Williams is healthy. I mean, yeah. I mean, Ernest Jones is a guy next year that I think is going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think Carolina fans are going to love the way he plays going forward. Yep. Uh, and the last question on our Instagram page, at least, Michael underscore Turnley, Debo draft stock analysis. Um, Tom, you got any insight on the draft? Any projections um, or anything you might go? Most places I see have him as around a top 50, 45 prospect, which is I – mean, I'm not going to say that's unfair or fair. I think that he could end up being a first-round pick. Will he be? I doubt it. I think he's a guy who falls into, like – the mid-second round, I think that's where his value is right now, especially considering his injury history. I think for most NFL teams, he's probably not really a, a number one receiver. He's a slot guy who's going to come in and be a decent – I think he's Farrah Cooper, but f- faster and will probably be more – get them to play more wide receiver. He's going to be a special teams guy for a couple of years because he's good at it and he should be playing it. And that's how he's going to make a living for a little while. But overall, he's going to be a really good receiver for whoever picks him. Maybe, maybe the Pats. God, I hope not. <laughs> But um, he would be like he would be sort of a, a similar to um, God, what's the kid's name? Like Danny Westbrook, the place for the Jags. It's not some something similar to that. I mean, right? A very good player who, who gets limited receptions, but if he goes to the right situation, he could very well bloom into a great receiver in the NFL. Yeah, yeah. I I would probably say he's like a second round guy. I mean, I, yeah. I think first round might be a little high, but he's definitely a top two rounds guy for sure. He's a top five receiver for the draft. I mean, there's no doubt. Yeah. Mm, yep. Without a doubt. Um, all right, let's. We got three listener questions. We're gonna get in these really quickly. Let's uh, let's get them rolling. Just when you're starting to feel a little giddy about Bentley and the offense, they have to remind us they are still quite capable of going out and doing whatever flop that was. Good grief! Please don't let those last few games be a tease and play well in the bowl game, would you? Now, offense, maybe no, whatever. Anyways, yay defense. That was right after the game on Saturday. I'm not even sure who that guy is because he didn't leave his name, but thank you for the voicemail. Appreciate Um, it. And, Tom, I think a lot of uh, South Carolina fans feeling on the game Saturday. I think everybody just wanted to see South Carolina beat somebody by 50, and some fans were down the dumps about it. All I'll say is, like I said earlier, I wouldn't put all your stock and take away too much from that game, again, on a wet, sloppy field. A game at a game after the Clemson game. I mean, I just, you know, I wouldn't hang on that game too much. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah. Okay. So we got a voicemail from Michael. Uh, Michael calling in. Here we go. Hey, this is Michael again. Uh, not really about uh, Carolina, but have you ever realized that um, for Georgia Bulldogs, that it when it comes to a really big game, they always lose because of one like really really dumb play, like going back a couple years versus uh, Alabama and when they played them in 2012 for the championship, the Air Murray threw that short pass. And then fast forward to the Georgia game, I mean to the Auburn game, Georgia versus Auburn game, when um, I think Marshall he threw that free kick, that uh, fourth down pass that got tipped by Georgia that should have been a pick and till now I thought it was going to be 
if they wasn't going to do it no more because of Kirby Smart, but it seems like it's the same thing with Georgia. So I always pick up with uh, Georgia fans about that because it always seems like whenever it comes to a big game, it's always that one stupid play that I always, always get to. All right. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. And let's just, let's just all uh, soak in again. The, the, the Georgia fans, their souls leaving their bodies. There's nothing better. So let's just. Bro, did you see the meme of, it was like, just, it's, this is what Justin feels look like on that fake punt, and it was Shaq hiding behind the tree. Yes. That mean, oh yes, oh, that yes. was so funny. But um, <clears throat> real quick, Chris, do you want to do some playoff talk real quick and talk about our thoughts of who they took in the playoff? Yeah. So let me get to this. We got one more voicemail, and then yeah, okay. we will definitely discuss who they have. Love it. I think that's a good talk for sure. All right, we got one last voicemail it comes from Dylan. What's going on, guys? Dylan. Uh, well, got the win out on Saturday. Uh, not a pretty win, kind of sloppy, but, uh, you know, the weather did what it did and uh, come out with a win. But on the bright side, Carolina's got one more game, and uh, hopefully Clemson's only got one more game. Uh, don't want to see them taters go to the championship again. But i uh, been seeing a lot of stuff about the master plan with uh, Chris Steele and all them guys. Uh, just uh, want to know your thought on that. And I just uh, – Want to see what you guys uh, hope will happen, or what do you think is realistic? But uh, just let us know. All right, thanks, guys. Where's up? All right, thank you, Dylan. All right, Tom, I know you're the recruiting expert, quote unquote, if you yeah, will. Expert. But I'll uh, I'll give my take on what the best case scenario for. Uh, I know he's talking about Chris Steele and Jaden Hill. I think the other defensive back. <clears throat> I think out of those two guys, <clears throat> you're for me being realistic. Best case scenario is you get one of those two. Um, from what I've heard from the quote-unquote sources I have, um, <laughs> has quote-unquote sources, it sounds like to me the more, the more realistic option is Chris Steele. I think Jaden Hill sounds pretty – like he, he's, he's in love with Florida. He's pretty on board with Florida. But you never know. And they could get neither. I mean, honestly, I, I really don't know. Um, so all of it right now you're seeing on social media with – with Ryan Holinsky and J.C. Horn and the master plan. It's all great. I mean, it's definitely good because I think there were a lot of people that, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I think they didn't even think Chris Steele was interested. And now it's like Chris Steele showing a lot of interest. And But it's yeah. kind of like what we talked about in pre-show, Tom. The, the, the kids are all entertaining the recruiting process. It's all part they of the process. Yeah, it's all the recruiting process for them. And, you know, I don't think it's anything we should put crazy stock into. These are 17, 18-year-old kids. That's why I've told you, Tom, that's why I don't follow recruiting religiously because I just – to me, it doesn't mean anything until a kid signs a dotted line on National Signing Day. That, that's when I really care, who signs and who doesn't. So, um, you got any recruiting insight on that? Anything? Uh, I mean, guys? I think the biggest uh, flip watch is probably going to be the Hooper kid from Florida. He's a linebacker, a guy that's originally from South Carolina. But he's probably going to be the biggest guy that is could be on flip flip season watch like we were tweeting earlier. But really, that was about the grapes thing. But when it comes to Steele, I think he's a kid who's probably going to come down to the last – pretty much to the last day. He's probably going to make up his mind of where he's going to go. I think it's between Florida and South Carolina. I don't really see other lot of teams being competitors there. But – I had to guess him and Jaden Hill will probably end up at Florida, and hopefully the Hooper kid or Hopper, whatever you want to say, it was going to is going to end up flipping his commitment to South Carolina, which would be huge because we need linebackers. And if you're a linebacker who can play in the SEC, you need to come to South Carolina right now. And I think that's something they can pitch to him, and especially Chris Steele is probably that he's going to be a day one starter at South Carolina. But um, 
other than that, I really don't have. There's not really so a whole lot. Going what about? On. Uh, I've heard this, kids. This is just coming from me from <coughs> from from articles I've seen. What about this uh, this Jashawn Sheffield kid? Why uh, he was a guy but who I, was ranked like a top fifty athlete by twenty four seven Sports, but like last year. And now he's dropped down to like not even in the top twenty four seven and on twenty four seven sports. I think even rivals has him kind of low now. But he's a guy that with Auburn's coaching staff being in such like a being kind of up in the air that they've been kept in contact with. And I think he's one of those Jamario Holly replacements if Holly ends up not being a not working out of South Carolina. Gotcha, gotcha. Good stuff. All right, he's a good player, but I just I don't know. I don't really know his truth. Yeah, no, I just I, I saw that they were visiting with him, and I've just heard you know. People asking about that. So maybe. He's one of those guys, if maybe you don't want Xavier Leggett or Xavier Leggett decides to go somewhere else and Jamario Holly can't come, that you like, hey, come on down to South Carolina. Right. Absolutely. All right. Cool. Well, yeah. You want to talk a little college football playoff? The playoff announced uh, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma. I imagine you you have a problem with that top four. Is that why you want to talk about I it? Mean, Okay, and I know I'm gonna gonna get a lot of hate from South Carolina fans for saying this, but there's no way after watching the SEC championship on Saturday that you didn't come to the conclusion that that Georgia is a top four team in the country. And I know it would hurt South Carolina recruiting and everything else, but the way I looked at it, in my opinion, Notre Dame. If you switch Notre Dame and UCF schedule, Notre Dame's still in the playoff just because of brand recognition. I don't think there's anything else to it. Notre Dame schedule sucks. They beat Vanderbilt by a touchdown or less than that, I think. If, if Alabama had only beat Vanderbilt by a touchdown, people would be screaming their heads off for them not to be in the playoff, or Clemson or any other team like that. I'm fine with Alabama at one. I'm fine with Clemson at two. But I think really and truly Georgia's number two, number three team in the nation. If you look at it like what Kirby Smart said, and that if you ask any other coach who they don't want to play, it's Georgia. And you ask any Clemson fan who they don't want to play, it's Georgia. It's not Notre Dame. Clemson fans know they're going to beat Notre Dame by two touchdowns. No question in their mind of that. But I think the biggest thing to me is I just think it's – and Oklahoma should have been four. I don't think there's any doubt there that Oklahoma should have been four. I don't think that Notre Dame should have been in the playoff at all. I don't think when I don't think when you don't play in a conference like that, they're, they're a quasi-ACC team technically. I think that's what most people, how that, most people call it. But I think if just Notre Dame doesn't play the championship, I don't think they should be – even consider to go there. I think you have to be in a conference. You should have to be in a conference to be in a championship. And that's another one of my big problems is that people say, if you don't win your conference, then you don't deserve to be in the, in the Final Four. Not true to me. The Final Four to me is the top four teams in the country. I don't care. You know, how many, obviously, if you lose three or four games, I think that's kind of a lot. You obviously aren't a top four team in the country. But Georgia lost to LSU in Death Valley at night, which many teams don't make it out of. I mean, Alabama shut them down. It was 29-0, pretty much a 50 nothing win considering you playing at LSU at night. That's how hard it is to play in that place. They get kind of blown out by them. They had some things happen. Not their greatest game in the world. Give them a mulligan. But for them to have a 21-7 lead on Alabama and two – and two, you know, shut him down, basically. And Jalen Hurts came in and saved the day for Alabama. Obviously, played a great game. Kirby Smart with the botch, obviously, with Justin Fields being on the fake punt. One of the most obvious fake punts. That was brutal. Yeah. I mean, horrible play calling. And maybe that's a good reason for Georgia not being in is the choking in the fourth quarter. If you want to go with that, I'm fine with it. But for me, it was just atrocious that Georgia was not even considered. I think they should have been put at three and they go play Clemson on neutral field. I think they beat Clemson pretty well on a neutral field, in my opinion. And then you put Oklahoma. I, I'm good with Oklahoma at four. I think they, they've earned that. Kyler Murray is a freak of nature. Did so good for me on my fantasy team this year. One of my best picks. Guy who's probably going to end up winning a high. I wish I would have bet on him a little bit earlier. But um, I, I just don't get Notre Dame or um, pretty much just Notre Dame is my biggest problem with all of it. Or you want if you want to put Oklahoma at three and let Clemson play them, I think Oklahoma wins that game. I mean, obviously Oklahoma no defense, so it will be a fifty something to fifty something game. But 
I mean, Georgia-Alabama was one of the best games I've seen in my life. And I think if I think if Georgia wins, then you probably put Clemson at one, Georgia at three, Notre Dame at two, and then Alabama at one, you get a repeat of last year. And then Alabama beats Clemson by three touchdowns. I mean, I don't know what else anybody expects. Yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I I, I wish the I want the playoff to expand. Either. Yeah, I think it should be. I'm, if you I don't know if you saw Mike Leach's rant on it, but if you don't, I, it's on my Twitter somewhere. I retweeted at Tom the Bomb. Look it up, watch it. He, he basically says, "Why can't we just have a 16 team or a 32 team playoff, just like every other football organization in the history of ever does?" I think it's stupid right. not to not to expand it. No, I I agree. Just because it works at every other level. The only thing I'll say. You know, I agree with the whole Notre Dame needs to be in a conference. I, it's stupid they're not. Um, but, I, I mean, Kirk Herbstreit obviously made the argument you're making. And to me, it's just you can't move Georgia up after losing. I just – I know they're one of the best four teams. I, I think I think most people would agree with that. I mean, why would they – if they're not one of the best four teams, why would they stay ahead of Ohio State if when Ohio State won yeah. their conference title game? But, I mean – I don't know. I, I'm, best, I'm just I'm a best four teams guy. I don't care about not that I don't care about right, conference right, championships, right. but if you're showing if you said Alabama's the number one team in the country and nobody else is that close, and then Georgia comes in and gives them the game of their a game of the year, basically, how can you not say they're a top four team? I just don't get it. I mean, I but you, you know, know Notre Dame is better than them. I don't I don't understand. Notre Dame isn't Notre Dame's going to get beat by fourteen or more against Clemson. There's no I doubt. Hear, I hear what you're saying about that, but I just. I don't know. I, I don't – I just – I don't know. I, I think – That's me taking off the Georgia – like me hating Georgia blinders, like honestly at this point. To me, you know what the thing to me is, though, is like I don't want to see Georgia play Bama again. I just yeah. – I don't. I, 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 we've seen it twice. Georgia shit the bed twice. I don't know if their fans could deal with another Georgia-Alabama game. I think they would lose their mind if they lost another fourth quarter game to Alabama. <laughs> I, think, I think somebody said in two out of the 200 not – no, okay – Again, in the Georgia-Alabama game in the last two years, in nine out of the 290 snaps, I think, Alabama has led for – Alabama's led in two out of the 290. Two, that's it. That's crazy. Wow. That's craziness. That's wild. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a messed up system they got to fix, but, I, I mean – because my thing is, and I saw this on Twitter too, is, is why not just let Vegas decide who the top four are? Because they're unbiased as crap. Yeah, that that starts getting into some really weird. I I hear what you're saying. I the, the, I wish they would expand it to eight. I wouldn't even mind sixty. I, I think eight. Would I think be sixteen is the best route to go. Because I mean, anything can happen. You know, any given Friday. I think that you take away a conference game or you take away a non-conference game. I don't care what you do. You put you play them. At, you play them and let them do sixteen. I don't think anybody would have a problem with that. I think every school would agree, even if you let it be a bowl game at, at, at whenever they get to the eight mark instead of the four. I think most bowls will be on be on board with that because they're and they get the money. I mean, it's all a it's all a money scheme to me, and I think the point is why they're not expanding it oh, more. Of course. <clears throat> no, of course, point. of course, without a doubt. Well, I think that's going to pretty much wrap it up for us. Is there anything we missed? The pack show again, like you guys heard. And there's a ton to talk about. Um, anything we may have missed, Tom? As you can think of. Uh, not off the top of my head, really. Go Cox. I, have, I mean, other than recruiting battles that we really just, I think that once we get to sign. Day. We're going to talk about it more the early signing days in a couple of weeks, but yep. it'll be a real, very interesting time to see what's going to happen. Yep, two weeks from today is the uh, the early. Yep, let's see, is that right? Yeah, uh, two. Excuse uh, me. You're listening to this. You'll be listening to this on Wednesday. So two weeks from Wednesday, it's December the nineteenth. Um, 
yeah, we'll, we'll be have full coverage of the, of the early signing period. We'll get, really get into it in that week's podcast and definitely next week, just kind of leading up to it. There'll be more recruiting news. I'm sure that'll be dropping, but yeah, other than that, I think that's pretty much going to wrap it up for us. We've got a really special interview coming up with former Gamecocks quarterback, Perry Orth. So stick around for that. Tom was able to have a legendary conversation with him, a really good friend of the show, um, good friend of ours as well. So appreciate you guys tuning in. Hope you enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks quarterback Perry Orth. Until next week, enjoy. Welcome to the interview portion of the Spurs Up Show. We have a great guest today in Perry Orth. We're going to be recapping the season. Perry, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, my friend. Appreciate you having me on and uh, talking Gamecock football um, after the two th- regular se- regular season of the 2018 season. Well, uh, we'll just go ahead and get this thing rolling, Perry. What were you going into the season? I know a lot of people had ex- high, really high expectations, but what were your overall expectations for this year for South Carolina's football team, and did the team meet them? Yeah, you know, I, I uh, preseason expectations are something I try to stay away from. I just wanted to see progression, and I think we saw that. You know, obviously the injuries on defense is never anything you want to see like that, but offensively, you know, I'm obviously a quarterback or former quarterback, and you wanted to see the offense get better and improve, and you wanted to see Jake Bentley continue to take the next step in his career, and you saw that. And um, for me, that was huge. I think that I'll agree with Coach Muschamp. This was his best team since he's been at South Carolina. Just didn't have the best record. I think we played a really difficult schedule. I think last season um, our schedule or our, our record was a little bit skewed because of our ske- strength of schedule was really weak compared to most years playing in the SEC. But, uh, you know, we we had the expectations of giving Georgia a little bit better of a game, didn't realize how talented and how, how you know, just special that team was. And then, uh, you know, there were a few games here and there that we kind of let slip away. But, you know, you look all in all and there's progression in our program. And as a fan, yeah, you want to win and you want to do all this, that, and the other, but you got to look at the long-term plan in the direction of our program. You know, you look at what Dabo's been able to do at Clemson. He didn't do it in two years. You know, it took some time. It took him about five years. It took Spurrier about five years. And sometimes it's really what it takes to you get your program implemented, your players in, your staff, the way you want things done. So I like the direction we're heading in. Well, obviously, I agree with a lot of what you said there. I think the program is going in the right direction. And I think that last year, too, a lot of people got the sense that we're, we were closer to a three-year rebuild, really, than it, and it was really really closer to a five, in all honesty. And I, I agree with a lot of what you said about we won a lot of one-score games last year, and we were on the defeated side on some of those this year. You know, you, like, you look at Florida, and you have a big lead like that at Florida, which has never really happened at the South Carolina, it seems like, and you blow that. But anyway, you know, keeping it all offensively, when you look at Jake Bentley and what he did last year, you know, everybody, you know, he was supposed to be a freshman last year, you know, he graduated early, but overall, you know, what were your expectations and what were some things you were looking for him to do this season? And did he hit what you were looking for? Yeah, absolutely. He, um, you know, I think the beginning of the season, you know, we were really expecting him to come out and make this big, this big jump and transition and, you know, with a new offensive coordinator and getting into a, a similar scheme, but a little bit different. There were there were a few bumps along the way, and obviously Kentucky and Georgia are two elite defenses. And he actually had a pretty good game against Georgia. Obviously, the Kentucky game wasn't his best of his career, but um, you saw he bounced back in a big way, and um, he, he kind of used what happened with Michael against Missouri as motivation for the back half of the season. 
Um, and, and he played about as good a football as anybody else in college football. So um, for him to to take that next step as a leader and as a quarterback, you know, going into next year is a huge year. I think that, you know, year one, two, and three, you can kind of buy yourself some time as a program and as a staff. Year four, you really need to see the, the next phase and the next step, the next growth. You, you want to see them win that big game. You know, we hadn't really done that yet. I know that people complain about Coach Muschamp's record versus uh, some of the higher, you know, the ranked opponents. And, and next year we're going to have plenty of opportunities to play really good teams and ranked teams, you know, both at home and on the road. So um, you'd like to see us knock one of – at least one of those those upper echelon teams off to, to really show that, yeah, we, we, you know, we haven't made it quite to the playoff level, but we um, were capable of competing and winning big games. I definitely think you make a lot of good points, especially about next year's schedule with playing three out of what are top three of the top five teams in the country are slated for us to play next year. Two of them being at home with Alabama and Clemson and obviously going on the road to face Georgia. But something you hit on real quick that I don't think a lot of fans talk about a lot is that um, how Michael Skarnecchia came in and beat Missouri. And I think that made Jake Bentley see, I don't want to say shadows, but I feel like, he, feel like his job was in jeopardy for the first time since he really came on and took over for you and um uh what was the kid's name Brandon um Mackwink took over for you guys in 2016 but um what, what do you think that competition did for him and did you agree with the with keeping Jake Bentley in over Marcus Carnecchia and not even giving Carnecchia really a chance to keep his starting position after the um, Missouri game yeah I thought it was an interesting move I mean obviously it paid off I thought that after a game like that because previously Jake wasn't playing that well um, up until that point, I know that he was dealing with a lot of drops and things like that, but having watched Michael throw the ball the way he did, I think a lot of us would have liked to see him just maybe play a, another half or ever play again. But, uh, yeah, that uh, it, you know, Coach, what, what I did like about it, and I will say this, and I, I appreciate Coach for doing this, was that he stuck. He said Jake is our quarterback. Michael did a great job coming in, doing his thing. And, and helping our team win. But Jake is our quarterback. We're going to stick by him. We're going to ride with him until further notice. And he rode with him literally uh, up until the last point. And Jake started playing uh, really good football. And I think that motivated him. You know, I, I think uh, it's unfortunate on Michael's end that he never really got another chance to play. He got one opportunity and actually had the best win of the season versus a now finishing ranked Missouri team. Um, so, you know, it's a little frustrating for Michael, but, you know, as a somebody out besides Michael and, and his family, you look at it and you say, you know, maybe that wasn't the worst decision possible. But, yeah, that, that was a hard, hard um, decision that he had to make, and he stuck with him. And, um, you know, that was his decision, and he felt like that was the best decision for the team. So it ended up paying, you know, because Jake played really well versus Ole Miss and Tennessee and some of those teams to, to help us kind of get back on the right track. Well, you know, you, you we talk about how the motivation helped him, and especially I think it did against Clemson. I would have never expected his performance in a million years. But what did you overall think about how well he played against Clemson? I mean, 510 yards, five interceptions. I mean, the, really the one bad pass the entire game he had it was picked off. But overall, what did you think about his performance, and would you have ever expected that going into that game? I mean, no, I don't I don't think you ever expect um, 500 10 yards passing and five touchdowns versus the number one scoring defense in the country. Now, Jake obviously has just unbelievable talents and abilities 
So you look at um, him as as an athlete standpoint. Yeah, you think he's capable of doing that. Did I think that was going to happen? No, I think they had an outstanding plan to attack attack Clemson vertically down the field. I think that Clemson's secondary is very, very average, and we have a lot of talented receivers that made a lot of big plays, and Jake stood in the pocket, threw the ball well, and they protected. So anytime you have that, you're going to have a recipe for success. But, you know, uh, you, you hit two or three 50, 60-yard plays on, on three passes, and then you go out there and – you play a good ball game. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to rack up some yards pretty quickly. And, and he did that. That was one of the best quarterback performances that I've ever seen in, in a game, especially against a high caliber defense that Clemson is. Well, and I think the offense line has a lot to do with that. And they were very good in pass protection this season, especially Zach Bailey. Unfortunately, he broke his leg against um against Akron. And you have Dylan Wanham, who I watched a lot of that game and saw him go against Cleveland Farrell and, and Xavier Thomas, two very good defense players for Clemson. And he pretty much, I mean, relatively shut them down that entire game. And that was extremely promising for me to see. I think he's probably going to make the move to left tackle next season. I don't know what your opinion is on that. But, um, no, switching, switching from really the player to the coaches – when you look at going into the season, a lot of people said because of Brian McClendon and what the offense did against um, Michigan, they had really high expectations for going into this year. Um, what was something you saw in the difference between last year's offense and this year's offense? Like, yeah, that's Brian's offense now and not, you know, it's not not the old Will Muschance. You know, people always drag on those offenses that weren't that good. What do you think about Brian McClendon and the job he's done on the offense for this season? Yeah, I think that um, I think that what was what we were really struggling with up until the Missouri game, you know, going after the Kentucky game, I remember sitting around and going on 107.5, the game here in Columbia, talking, man, we just had no identity as an offense. You know, were we going to be a run team? Were we going to be a pass team? And we kind of found that we were uh, actually a really balanced team. We, we, we found that we were able to to run the ball effectively because our offensive line play was exceptional, but then we also found that we were able to push the ball down the field because we could protect the the passer. And anytime you can give a quarterback time to throw, especially with the, the receivers that we have, you're looking at a, a very high outcome of success offensively. And then we started finally catching the freaking football, which helps the quarterback and the offense incredibly. So uh, we, we found an identity and guys started making plays. And as an offense, that needs to happen if you want to have any success. No, I definitely think you're on some stuff there. I think that I don't know if the offense should identify at least going into next season with like Mike Leach at Washington State and throw the ball 50 times a game. But I think Bentley proved that he could do that against Clemson and against a team like Ole Miss when the defenses really aren't playing that well. But I think he's the kind of guy who next year, I don't know what his stock would exactly be going in the draft this year, but I think next year, you know, he throws for 4,000 yards or so, maybe 30-something touchdowns. He's a guy that you could look at as a top, you know, top-round first or second round pick. And I don't think a lot of people expected that coming into last season, especially halfway through the season when he was playing so poorly. Yeah. You know, I hate to be a naysayer, but I think 4,030 touchdowns may be pushing it for what the kind of brand of offense that we're, that we play. But I do believe that he could definitely throw for over 3000 again in, in 20 plus touchdowns. I think that he has that capability. Um, I don't think, I don't project us seeing be us being a, throw it 40, 50 times a game team next season. I think that that what you saw against Clemson is we had no other option to we, – we weren't going to run be able to run the ball successfully versus that front, so we were going to ride or die by the throw. 
and um, we were hitting big plays left and right. And I just don't know if you see that kind of offensive outcome week in, week out. I mean, we might. I don't know. I may sound negative by saying that, but um, that that was kind of a, a, a performance where I thought that that was a little bit uncommon, uh, where we caught their guys in, in some out-of-position spots. But do I think that Jay can throw for over 3,000 again in 25-plus touchdowns? There's no question, especially with – the, the guys we have coming back at receiver and the, the progression of which I think we're going to do, um, you know, working into year two for, for Brian McClendon and his offense. Well, you talk about receivers and recently Debo Samuel came out saying that, you know, he wasn't going to play in the bowl game. I don't have a problem with it. He's been a great player for four years. I don't think anyone should have a problem with it. I don't really think there's much he could have done against Virginia and the belt bowl to add to his draft profile right now. But overall, what was your, what's your opinion on it? Just give us your take really quick. Yeah, I think, um, you know, some of the, the hardcore Gamecock fans will say, oh, play with your team, but here's the deal. Kids left it on, you know, he's, he's left it all out on the field. He's battled injuries throughout his career. And then I think after seeing what happened with Zach breaking his foot in the second half of the game or breaking his ankle, he's just like, well, what it left do I have to prove? You know, I think that, you know, selfishly he has nothing left. Obviously you want, you want to win with your team, but you're playing in the belt bowl. Okay. You win this game. It's a great win. Kind of push you in the off season. You lose. It's not the best, but at the same time, you know, no one's, you know, I don't think the Belk Bowl is going to turn our team into a national championship contender, you know. So um, having said that, I think Debo made the best decision for him and his family and for, you know, the gen- – I mean, he, he's going to have the opportunity to make generation-changing money here at the next level if he, he does it correctly. Um, so I think he made the right decision. I have absolutely zero concern with it. I actually supported that when I saw it. I was actually wondering if he was going to play because it didn't make any sense for him to do that, especially knowing his track record with with injuries and having been relatively injury free this season. Well, no, I definitely think you're right there, and I think that one big thing that probably scared him, you know, going maybe maybe I should say out this game was Zach Bailey breaking his leg and basically a meaningless game against Akron. But switching to another receiver on the offense, and I don't know if you saw this or not, but uh, some reporter asked Brian Edwards if he was thinking about sitting out the bowl game or if he had considered going to the NFL, and he gave you know kind of not the, I won't say the greatest responses, but I wouldn't necessarily agree with the way he responded he I think he said to the um to the going to the NFL party had considered it and then the bowl game they both just basically tried to brush off the question it was him and Debo Samuel that were asked but um what do you think about Brian Edwards future do you think he's a Gamecock next year do you think he leaves for the NFL and do you think he should leave for the NFL no I think Brian um you know I know he's considering it um of leaving I just hope that he is having the proper mentorship and proper guidance in this process. Uh, Brian's an unbelievable talent. I think receiver wise, he probably projects better to the NFL than Debo does. And I hope somebody's telling Brian that he had an unbelievable season as far as catches and made some incredible plays, but he also had a ton of drops and um, you hate to be the, that kind of person and that bring that negativity, but you sit him down and say, listen, you clean up the drops, you go out and you're going to be our number one receiver next year on a team that's probably going to lean more towards throwing the football. And and you could have a, a thousand yard, 12 touchdown season and be a first round pick. 
215, runs a sub 4-5, can jump out the gym and can catch the football. Regardless of his drops, he does have great hands. So you look at something like that and you say, listen, do you, do you want to be a third, fourth, fifth round pick or do you want to be a first or second round guy? So it really just depends on, on who is giving him the proper guidance. So hopefully people like you know Coach BMAC and Coach Muschamp and, and Jake and Marcus Lattimore, I think this is a position where Marcus needs to step in and, and be that kind of that guidance counselor and say, listen, I'm just going to be real with you. This is what I'm seeing. This is what I think you should do instead of, you know, somebody either back home or a friend of his saying, no, nah, man, you're good. You go and, and make a ton of money. Well, wait one year and then go and make a ton of money. Well, I think there's a big difference between him living this year and maybe being a top four round pick comparing to, like you said, catching for a thousand yards next year and maybe 12, maybe 10 plus touchdowns in a very good offense. Cause I think that another year of him playing 12 games, cause to my memory, I don't think he's missed a game in a South Carolina uniform, but you know, playing those next twelve games, showing that the drops he had last year aren't going to repeat into his future, and you know, doing some other big things offensively, I think that shows that he can be a number one receiver in the NFL. Because there's a huge difference between a first round or second round draft pick in the NFL and a fifth round draft pick. Which I think oh, there's no question. Which I think that would be the that would be a huge difference, regardless. If it would be a huge difference money wise, but in his role as a team and coming in, you know, that's the difference between playing special teams for your first couple of years. You know, playing being a starting receiver on an NFL team, which there aren't many of those to ever do that, but um. Switching from the current team, we're going to go with some older stories. I know you played for Coach Spurrier. He was one of the guys who, you know, recruited you to come to South Carolina. What was one thing that Spurrier always did that maybe, you know, you always loved that something – or maybe just a story in general is something that he, he did that, you know, you made you glad to be a game cop? Well, there are a lot of things that would rub you the wrong way. I think Coach – I like playing for Coach Spurrier because he held you to a higher standard. He didn't care – you were a walk-on or a five-star. He, he wanted you to play and play at a high level, and there was no exception in between. Um, he was just a funny guy to be around. You know, he um, it was always funny when he'd rip on the other guys, but when it was you, it was terrible. But the other guys, it was funny. And, you know, he was great for our program. I think bringing a big name in like that, he knew how to fundraise and get people fired up about football. He knew how to get the people pouring money in to build the brand-new facilities that we have now. And, he was just honestly, he really changed the face of South Carolina football from being, uh, you know, just an average contender to being, you know, South Carolina. I mean, when I was coming up in high school, in middle school, South Carolina was the, I saw South Carolina, like I saw Missouri or a Kentucky or, a, you know, an Ole Miss, Mississippi State, you know, one of those like mid SEC average teams. And, and then once I got to high school and was watching Garcia and then, Connor and, and people like that kind of take the program to the next level. You saw South Carolina and the likes of Georgia and the Floridas and the, you know, the Tennessees and the Auburns and Alabamas. So the, the perception of South Carolina football has changed because of him. So, you know, he left at a bad time and it was kind of a weird, weird deal the way it all went down, but he did a lot more good than bad for South Carolina football. No, I definitely agree. I think that South Carolina was basically, I wouldn't say irrelevant, but we had a good year here, there. And other than that, we really weren't having much consistency as a program. And I think Spurrier really changed that. And Muschamp's doing a great job. Obviously, through three years, has been the winningest coach in South Carolina history, which is super impressive to me and should be to everybody else. But obviously, you got to play for Spurrier and through a year of Muschamp. But, you know, compare their, their coaching styles and what's something they did different, something maybe they did the same. 
Yeah, so when it came to the X's and O's of Coach Spurrier's offense, the attention to detail was like nothing I've ever been a part of or seen. Um, I mean, you, literally down to the the foot of of your split, whether you were going to be on top of the numbers or a yard inside the numbers or a yard on top of the numbers or, you know, being on the hash versus being, you know, a, a yard off. I mean, it was – literally down to the yardage of every route of every formation the way you motioned everything was so specific and he was just a, a perfectionist when it came to offense but the the other stuff around the program is um he he was a little bit more lenient obviously than coach Muschamp was coach Muschamp was like that all the way around from you know what you wore to work out what time we you know Obviously, everybody needed to be on time, but kind of when you needed to go to study hall, everything was just planned out for you and just really, really detail-oriented all across the board, whereas Coach Spurrier was more of that way when it came to X's and O's, but not what you wore to meetings, not really that kind of the stuff, which in my opinion, I agree with. I think some of the other stuff is a little bit over the top, but um, then again, that just kind of gets your mind right and gets you in a frame of of reference when, when it comes to doing things around this program, whether it is wearing, you know, the same socks when you work out or the same socks when you go to practice or the, you, you, you're not doing something individually, you're doing everything as a team. I think it builds that camaraderie and builds that team effort and teamwork. But um, yeah, they, they were two to coach Muschamp, obviously a little bit more strict. You know, he was more the strict parent on the field. Coach Spurrier was a little bit more lenient in some ways than others, but uh, both two really, really interesting guys to play for. Really enjoyed getting to know both of them, and uh, it was definitely a pleasure to uh, to play for both of them. Well, obviously, I think Spur- – well, Spurrier is the most the winningest coach in South Carolina history, and I think if Muschamp stays here for eight or nine or ten years, maybe if that happens that he could end up one day passing him, I think that's the direction the program is going right now. But, you know, tw- shifting back to the future of the Gamecock football, obviously Ryan Holinsky is looked at as – what some would say that I don't want to say the savior of Gamecock football, but a guy who's going to come in and people have really had expectations for him from a film standpoint. What have you seen from him? That's made you say, okay, this guy's going to be for real. Yeah, I think um, Ryan brings a lot to the table as far as composure and pocket presence. And he has a good arm. Um, one thing I'm just very, very cautious to judge freshman quarterbacks is how are they going to two things? How are they going to handle the, the, the speed of the game, how are they, you know, learning new offense, the, the, the ins and outs of the game, how are they going to just get used to being around other top flight athletes? And then number two is how are they going to adjust to criticism? You know, right now you look at a kid who's a big time recruit, like you said, the savior of Gamecock football. You know, when I was coming up, they said the same things about, you know, every kid, I mean, Lorenzo Nunez, Connor Mitch, Brandon McElwain. I mean, every high ranked quarterback that, has come in has been the quote unquote savior of Gamecock football. So um, how are they going to adjust to negativity when they go out and play in a game? How are they going to adjust with, you know, if they play bad fans booing them or telling them things that they don't want to hear and telling them that they suck and they want the backup in and how are they going to handle that? And that's something you never really know until they're thrown into the fire. So I think that Ryan's had to deal with a lot of adversity in his life and he's, seem to have handled it really well, so that's a good sign. But uh, that's something you never really know till they're out there, and that, that's the, the tricky part about it. 
Well, I definitely think from at least from an outsider looking in, because I don't really—I mean, we know Ryan; he's been on the show before, and he seems like a really good kid. But um, I would just think the way he he prepares himself for everything it seems like, and what he's been through, I think is going to prepare him at a really good level to come into play at South Carolina. Because obviously, like you said, he's going to be under a lot of pressure to perform more early. And I think one of the biggest things for him is going to get is he's going to be able to sit behind Jake Bentley for a year and just learn from him and learn about the game. And I think that's something that maybe Jake didn't have and other, other quarterbacks that have come through South Carolina didn't get a chance to have. Didn't get a chance to have, like, somebody to kind of, like, take the year and sit and mentor? Yeah, just sit and learn for a year, basically. I mean, obviously, you got to sit behind. I don't know if you were there for Connor Shaw, but at least you got to sit there from Dylan Thompson and learn from a guy like that who had been through South Carolina, had been in South Carolina for a long time and was obviously a really good quarterback. Yeah, no, yeah, he uh, was a, a big mentor in my life. And I'd like to say that my last year that I uh, helped Jake a little bit as far as kind of learning how to handle not only the football side of things, but the, the life side. And that's what I, I'd expect Jake to be able to do the same for, for Ryan. No, I mean, I definitely would agree that you were. I mean, obviously, you were a walk-on, very – I mean, you did what you you did what you did could do with the stuff you had at South Carolina is basically what I'm trying – I mean, obviously, I think that Brandon coming in, you were a great mentor to him. And then, obviously, with Jake taking over halfway through the year, I mean, I just – I don't really – I mean, it was hard to do what, do what you did for, for a walk-on. I, I think the expectations for you were with those – I don't know how I'm trying to say this. For what oh. you did is – for what you did is pretty – great to me from outside looking at coming you know you were you know i won't say connor mitch basically got looked for basically got the job over you and then you came in for him and you performed well and i think a lot of people are proud you know especially the one against vanderbilt i think was probably one of the best things i've ever seen in my life at least yeah no okay i see what you're saying yeah no as far as coming in and having those high expectations as a recruit yeah that that's something that um that jake would definitely be able to to help help him with i think that when you get there, you kind of all that stuff kind of fades away because once you get into that locker room, nobody cares what you are ranked. Nobody cares what what kind of expectations the fans or social media had about you because they're going to be able. The players are going to be able to tell really quickly after a first few practices: is this kid worth a crap or is he not? And and that's what it was for some of these other guys: is that you know this kid, you know, not quarterback wise, but some of the other kids that were brought in that were high recruits. Well, this kid. This kid's top flight receiver, and he can't catch a cold, or this running back's slow, man. How was how this kid a four-star recruit, you know? So um, the the players will help with that. But w- once you get in there and, and you're in school, all that hype and all that stuff, it just kind of fades away because guess what? In six months, you know, people are going to be fired up, obviously, about Holinsky playing, but they're going to be talking about that Luke Doty kid. And then the next year they're going to be talking about the next recruit. So – um, just being able to block that out once you get on campus, you know, enjoy it while you can. I mean, the same – they were people were just drooling when Kirion Joyner committed to yeah. South Carolina. And just, look how quickly it changed when Ryan Holinsky committed. And then next thing you know, the next guys can – you know, so realizing that you're just another hamster on the wheel is uh, – the sooner you realize that, the better. Well, I think one big saying that I've always agreed with is that stars don't matter once the pad come, pads come on. I mean, yeah. nobody nobody cares about how many stars you had on you when you're getting your you know stuff handed to you every week of practice. But um, overall, man, great interview. We really appreciate appreciate you coming on. It's always great to have a former Gamecock on the podcast. You know, hopefully you're doing pretty well. I appreciate it, man, and thanks for having me on. And uh, like what you guys are doing, and look forward to. Watching a Gamecock win at the end of December. Yep, go Gamecocks. Thanks for coming on, Barry. Yes, sir. I appreciate it, man.
Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.